0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the
2: Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Friday. Ah, and end of the GOP convention. You can sit back and relax now. The adults are back in the building. It is a crazy town. If you uh, were able to watch the convention last night, a, uh, I guess a unified-ish party. A lot of people. They seem to all show up for Donald's uh, speech last night. We'll be talking about that today. Yet, it's interesting to hear the pundits, because it doesn't seem like they um, agree on how that went. Some thought it was incredibly negative, a very dark, bleak look at America. Others thought, nailed it, nailed it. So we're going to be uh, kind of cutting through some of that in the beginning of the show. We also have got, I think, a really powerful discussion coming up about um, America's identity crisis. I think there's a battle, and you even in in Mr. Trump's speech last night, you could hear the difference. I think of this identity crisis we're facing. Are we are we this racially diverse population, or are we, uh, you know, kind of a white, you know, milk toast? I don't know what you call it. Just a white, right. Established culture that's now being oppressed by all of the diversity. Or displaced. Or displaced.
3: Yeah. That's really the the stress is that your influence isn't the same as it was, so if you are a a, a white American, you're not necessarily going to be in the same position you were twenty not, years ago because the other minority groups are growing.
2: And the funny thing about it is you're only as strong as your minority mm-hmm. in the country where we can even, I mean, even being able to re-identify your gender. You can re-identify your gender, but you can't necessarily re-identify your your ethnic diversity. So, is is having one drop of Native American blood in your system make you ethnically diverse, or do you need two drops? It depends. Are or you Elis- drops? Are you
3: Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> exactly. It's just...
2: <laughs> so it's it's an interesting discussion. And uh, Michael Lind will be joining us, who's a political journalist. And he wrote a wonderful article, I believe, in in um, Politico, yeah. talking about we need to really get to this idea of being a true blue melting pot. Which, interestingly, wasn't the original, apparently, idea of the Founding Fathers. I didn't realize that. It was not? It was not. Hmm. It was... The Founding Fathers were, were whites trying to establish a white, safe zone. He'll talk about it. Hmm. Interesting history. Um, we'll get into Michael Lynn's work on that subject and, you know, hopefully expand that a bit and, and maybe make sense of what happened with the somethings going on with Mr. Trump because he's either a genius or he missed the mark last night, some believe. I think there's I think he's smarter than everybody's giving him credit for. I don't know that he's saying anything new, but he's saying what got him through the entire seventeen other candidates, sixteen other candidates. And then the question before. is
3: does that carry him to a general election? And we'll see, but apparently,
2: according to uh you know, forty something percent of the Democrats also feel like they're not fitting into the Democratic Party hmm. a la Bernie Sanders. So is Mr. Trump trying to chase every kind of, you know, lonely outcast of America. The the island of misfit toys is what some people called it last night. Um, anyway, interesting. We'll talk about that. But first, we've got to get uh, to the, ke- the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the world?
4: Thanks, Matt. The Republican nominee used his nationally televised acceptance speech Thursday night to lay out a darker version of his core message. Donald Trump pledged that safety will be restored if he is elected president using his Republican convention address to denounce Democrat Hillary Clinton as part of a political class causing the nation's troubles. Quote, as long as we are led by politicians who will not put America first, then we can be assured that other nations will not treat America with respect either. Ivanka Trump hailed her father as the people's nominee and the single most qualified person to serve as chief executive of an $18 trillion economy in an introduction speech that painted him as a fighter for equal rights. She got one of her biggest cheers when she said that her father will fight for equal pay and for equal work. Without giving a specific example, Ivanka said that Trump believed in people before they believed in themselves. And she said that he would help those in need find jobs or, quote, get them a break. The hunt for Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 will be suspended once the current search area in the Indian Ocean has been completely scoured, the ministers of the three countries conducting the operation announced on um, this morning. The Boeing 777 vanished more than two years ago while on a flight from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing on March 8, 2014. It is believed to have turned back and dropped into the Indian Ocean west of Australia where the search has been concentrated. Malaysian authorities said suspension of the search does not mean an end to it. Roger Ailes resigned as chairman and CEO of Fox News on Thursday after days of speculation as to his future with the network after a sexual harassment lawsuit was filed against him by former anchor Gretchen Carlson. 21st Century Fox co-chairman Robert Murdoch will take over as chairman and acting CEO of the Fox News Channel and the Fox Business Network, the company announced. And lastly, Matt, the NBA will move the 2017 All-Star Game out of Charlotte, North Carolina. The league announced yesterday over the state's controversial House Bill 2, which has been roundly criticized as discriminatory against LGBT individuals. The league is reportedly looking to move the event, which takes place in mid-February, to New Orleans. So not too much happy news, Matt, but there you go. There's your wow. headlines for this morning.
2: Heavy news, but thanks, Caitlin. Appreciate it. Um, and it is Friday. We, we, you know, the news, you'd think it would lighten up. Well, it, it is lighter because now they're saying, "Yay, the GOP thing's done!" But now we're going to immediately start talking about if Hillary Clinton has a vice presidential candidate ready to announce.
3: Allegedly, possibly today, even today.
2: Man, it, it's like it's the weirdest thing. It's so if you're a, if you're big into either party, these are the greatest weeks of your life. If you love politics, you're loving this. If you're a journalist, you love this because you you get to basically have two weeks of just pure, constant, something exciting. Mm-hmm. Lots of media, you know, sculpting your thinking over the next week and last week. So anyway, it was interesting to watch the media try to make sense of Donald Trump's speech last night. Everyone was saying the most important speech of his life. And when it was over, I was watching CNN, and they they couldn't say anything positive about it. Right. It, it was like... That was dark. That mm-hmm. was ugly. I mean, it was it was as if he had just said about 30 things you're never supposed to say. So what do you think, Terry? Is this – it's somethings – he's either a genius targeting certain people
3: mm-hmm. because it didn't sound like a GOP speech. No. Really? There were certain parts of it that really weren't GOP at all. I
2: mean, he had a few things in there, but yeah, I mean, he brought up – uh, the lgbt stuff which would never usually fly there he no. brought up um what did he bring up that made people go hmm are we saying that oh anyway i just thought wow he's he's openly talk he's talking about chicago shootings yeah he is he actually going to go into south chicago and help restore the safety in south chicago mm mm-hmm. That's not something that would ever normally be brought up in. I mean, safety might be, but not Chicago. We don't seem to talk about Chicago much. Um, Anyway, let's go through a few uh, of the speakers last night. Tonight was an interesting idea, too, because um, Peter Thiel, who made a a big splash because he's the guy that uh, was um, he's a he's a gay man that was outed by Gawker. Then he turned his billions. To, he was a PayPal,
3: wasn't he? The, yep. the the creator of PayPal, or one of them. And he was he's on the board of Facebook, and so that kind of he's a he he's has a, a lot of money. He man. funded the lawsuits from Hulk Hogan against uh, uh, Gawker Media because of what they did to him. So he helped take them down, and now they're, they're finally for bankruptcy. Take
2: down. Here's so here's Peter Thiel, not somebody you'd normally see speaking at the GOP convention, and what he had to say.
5: When I was a kid, the great debate about how to defeat the Soviet Union and we won now we are told now we are told that the great debate is about who gets to use which bathroom this is a distraction from our real problems who
1: cares
5: Of course, every American has a unique identity. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. But most of all, I am proud to be an American.
6: I
2: mean, again, that is something you would never have heard at a Republican convention. Forever. And
3: that's who Donald Trump picked. It's it, This seems like a change. Now, is it a change or is it Trump picking specific voices to reach out to that yeah. middle ground to be able to – Except the weird thing is those
2: were the GOP uh, delegates cheering-ish. Right. It's – so is there a revolution going on or is it that the Bushes, the Romneys, the McCains that all sat out and all of their people are still sitting out – But they watched for four days, I'm sure, this entire thing going on in Cleveland. Hmm. Again, something that would not have normally been said. Ivanka then spoke last night as well. And Ivanka, oh, that was what it was. Ivanka made the announcement that she's an independent. I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat, I'm a millennial that thinks independently.
3: She goes, like, I vote for the best candidate and this year that's my dad.
2: And again, that's something you wouldn't normally hear at the GOP convention is somebody espousing their independence and every, not
3: every, everyone that speaks is usually solid in the camp and she's kind of she's right there picking the best candidate possible, which I think is quite a bit of America. this is uh, these
2: are a few clips of Ivanka and, and, and as she talks about her father
0: as the proud daughter of your nominee, I am here to tell you that this is the moment and Donald Trump is the person to make America great again. He taught us that potential vanishes into nothing without effort, and that like him, we each had a responsibility to work not just for ourselves, but for the betterment of the world around us. He taught us that potential vanishes into nothing without effort, and that like him, we each had a responsibility to work not just for ourselves, But for the betterment of the world around us.
2: Uh, Loves her dad. Again, the third Trump, fourth Trump child to speak. Mm -hmm. They also, (laughs) they brought Barron out. Oh, they did? First time I had ever seen Barron. Right. I thought Barron was like a baby. No. But he's, I don't know, 12, 13 or something. Uh, Barron came out, but uh, again, Ivanka and many thought she did a great job. I think she's
3: she had a wind machine blowing; her yeah. hair was sort of wisping in the uh-huh. air. It looked like a model shoot. reminded yeah, me of Fabio.
2: Um, but uh, she again was saying, and, and great talked about the the history of the Trump companies and women and how strong they've been for women. Um, she also talked about the fact that um, that if you want to fix the system, you're going to have to choose somebody that's outside of the system to fix it.
0: Real change, the kind we have not seen in decades, is only going to come from outside the system. And it's only going to come from a man who has spent his entire life doing what others said could not be done.
2: Huh. And then Donald stepped up. And Donald went for an hour, how long, an hour and like 12 minutes or something? It they was,
3: said it was, I heard, 90 minutes I mean, with applause and oh, everything. Maybe, yeah. So, yeah. The
2: longest speech, yeah, I think it was an hour and 30, yeah. Longest speech in 40 years of conventions. He even beat Bill Clinton. Well, but you kind of knew he would. But he, a lot of people, doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. But again, I think he's targeting people. He's targeting Ohio. He's targeting Pennsylvania. He's targeting the the coal miners that have lost their minds. He's targeting the the, the oil industry that have lost their fracking and their industry. He's targeting inner city parents whose kids can't even get a good school choice. Hmm. So I don't know. This is why I think our guest today is going to be so powerful because I, I think it demonstrates that there's an identity crisis. Who are we? You can't GOP this year... Is, the, is much more inclusive than it's ever been. And I think what we're going to see the Democrats be is the, the, the group of kumbaya and it's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. In fact, I heard big arguments uh, coming in, driving in today uh, with all the stations talking about it, that crime is down, but Trump didn't make it sound like crime is down. But crime uh, is up in 50 of the biggest U.S. cities. But in the rest of the country, crime is down, which is that divide again. Where do you live? If you thought it was too doom and gloom, you might want to live in an inner city where it is doom and gloom, or you might want to live near a fracking site where it was just closed down and the entire town's shutting down now. So. Interesting stuff. Holy cow. So much to talk about. But we want to bring in an expert uh, that uh, that's, has been researching um, America's identity crisis. And he is a policy director for economic growth program of New America and the co-founder of New America. He's He's got an idea. Maybe we need to go back to the or maybe create the new concept of the American melting pot. Um, America has an identity crisis. We'll have uh, Michael Lind come and explain it to us. And uh, give us, uh, just give us some insight and uh, at least stir the melting pot for us a bit. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hoping to uh, help you see uh, maybe some hope in this life. Um, stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, this year's presidential race has proven to be one of the most divisive in history, both in terms of America and in the political parties. They seem to be upside down. The political left and the right produce polarizing rhetoric, sometimes creating disunity within their own parties and cannot find common ground on which... The majority of Americans can agree. Today's guest is political journalist Michael Lind, who feels that America is currently struggling with an identity crisis. Michael has proposed in an article published on Politico uh, ideas that he feels are solutions to the identity crisis. The name of the article, How to Fix America's Identity Crisis. Michael Lind, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
7: Thank you for having me.
2: Great to have you. Talk to us about this identity crisis. What do you mean? I mean, I I feel like just watching Trump's uh, convention and the GOP last night, I feel like you can see the identity crisis kind of eking through a lot of the speech. What do you mean by an an identity crisis?
7: Well, we're very divided by race and also by religion when it comes to the idea of what it means to be an American. And and that's for obvious reasons. Uh, Until recently, the U.S. was overwhelmingly Christian in religious belief, uh, and all the way until the 1960s, we had formal white supremacy and and racial segregation. We had a racist immigration system; only whites uh, could become uh, naturalized U.S. citizens. That lasted from the founding fathers all the way uh, to the 1950s and 60s. So, in a sense, we're only—it's only since the 1960s that we've tried to really. Uh, create a a common American identity that is not limited to Christians of European descent, and clearly we're having trouble articulating this on on both sides of the aisle.
2: And, and so you're you're even saying, even from the beginning, we've we weren't necessarily even established to create to to be able to manage that diversity.
7: Yes, anyone who tells you on the fourth of July that the founding fathers. Established the United States to be a haven for people of all races and religions. It does not know what he's talking about. Uh, the the first naturalization act of the Congress of the many of whom had been founders at the Philadelphia Convention uh, limited naturalization uh, of, of immigrants to free white persons. Hmm. So so all the way from that time up until the 1950s there were immigrants from China and Japan, but no matter how long they lived here, they could never become U.S. citizens. Whereas if you were from Ireland or Germany, uh, after uh, seven years, you could become a naturalized citizen. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's nice to think that anti-racism was part of America's founding, but it, it wasn't. And of course, we had slavery Yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, succeeding that segregation. So, it's really only the last uh, half century or so. So what we we've, we've tried to create a, a more pluralistic America,
2: and and so so the, the divide, I guess, or the identity crisis is is it is it is it the Amer is America still about religion? Uh, is it still about white race, or is it now about the I guess the idea that the melting pot idea? And and do you do you see that each uh, each Side, the Republican or the Democrat side, do they, do they, I guess they each take it from a different angle?
7: Yeah, I think the right, uh, at least subconsciously, is still wedded to this idea that the typical American in the future will be a white person of, of uh, Christian, Judeo Christian religious belief, and, and that will be the majority for some time to come, but it's a shrinking majority. The left is very committed to multiculturalism, the idea that there will be no majority at all. Uh, there will simply be a bunch of different groups uh, defined by largely by race, by descent, by who your parents were. Uh, and these groups will not merge. They will coexist indefinitely. And what I point out in the article is the idea of the melting pot uh, of forming a new nationality from the fusion of uh, formerly different groups. Even though this really isn't supported by either the left or the right at the moment, uh, it's actually taking place. You, you uh, see... Among second, third generation Latino immigrants, for example, the rates of marriage outside of the group are as high as they were for European immigrants, you know, in the second and third generation. So, mm. it, so it's not so much that we're, we're a salad bowl where the different uh, pieces retain their identity. The old metaphor of the melting pot, which was originally used in the mid-20th century to talk about the fusion of European groups like British, Irish, German, Italian, and so on into a new uh, society. This actually is working. Uh, even uh, African American white intermarriage—it's lower than for other groups, but it's rising rapidly—and that's the ultimate test of integration.
2: So this is a new. You're proposing a new melting pot idea. I guess the original melting pot was was still for rel- What what I guess would be considered
7: whites. Well, yeah, it was limited to whites. The original melting pot idea uh, held that the descendants of the original British American pioneers would uh, intermarry and and, uh, uh, blend their culture with those of subsequent uh, European immigrant groups. And that indeed happened. By the 1970s, the average white American had a ancestors from uh, different European nationalities. And if you look at the data, I'm not so much advocating this, I'm just, I think this is the trend. Uh, You know, something similar will happen uh, with people of having ancestors of different races in the generations ahead.
6: Hmm.
2: Because one of the things you cited in your um, article was that, you know, um, Latin Americans or Hispanic Americans still many times see themselves as whites.
7: Yes, these. Uh, uh, I was very critical in, in my political art, uh, article of what is called the five race system. This was devised in the nineteen seventies by the by the Office of Management and Budget, believe it or not, by government bureaucrats, in order to pigeonhole everybody into one of five races, so called, for the census purposes. And African American has, has a real historic identity, but. You know, putting Norwegian-Americans uh, and uh, Iranian-Americans together as non-Hispanic whites, which is what the government does. This makes no sense. In hmm. uh, the Asian and Pacific Islander category uh, you know, has uh, Hindus from uh, India and Japanese and Maoris from New Zealand all lumped together in a single category. So one of the things I argue is that, you know, the, these categories sort of corrupt our thinking. Uh so the projections about the coming white minority, actually it's the coming non-Hispanic white minority. About half of uh, Latinos identify themselves as white on census forms. If you accept their self-identification, uh, then there will be a white minority in the United States for the entire 21st century. There's not going to be a non-white minority. Mm. But I don't even like talking in these terms, because these are the, these simplified racial constructs don't actually reflect the complexity of people's identities.
2: Right, and is it? I wonder if it's um, if it's beyond a two party system too. I mean, like, it, it seems like you've got other issues, um, minority issues, but also just cultural issues. But I mean, like, uh, the LGBT issue isn't white or black or whatever. It's it's a whole different concept. But it it historically was also seemingly anti Christian.
7: Well, it's wrapped up in, in religion, That's right. are most of the issues uh, dealing with uh, sex and reproduction. Uh, it, it's very dangerous, getting back to your uh, question, when the parties uh, become identified with particular ethnic and, and racial, and, and for that matter, religious groups, because then there's really no room for compromise. Right. The other party threatens your very identity, uh, and you have this kind of civil war through the ballot box, and I think that's very dangerous. Unfortunately, the United States only has a two-party system uh, because of our first-past-the-post-elections, which tend to uh, mean that a third party is a wasted vote.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh,
7: and, and most democracies have a form of proportional representation, which allows you to have multiple parties, usually three or four or five. And that way, you have a little more flexibility and more shifting coalitions.
2: Does um, I guess as we're thinking about this, and even what we just saw, kind of the division in the country between um, the police shootings of uh, you know unarmed black men, and then the um, shootings of police officers, you 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 see that again dividing down racial lines.
7: Yeah, and both sides, uh, you know, let's sort of try to fit it into a pre-existing narrative, whether mm-hmm. it's of white persecution of uh, African Americans. Uh, or or you know uh of of you know whites being threatened by uh uh black uh, crime or violence or something right. uh, you know and and if you look at the actual data uh it 's really a matter of police shootings with uh, poor people yeah. of, of all races, white and black, because they're the ones more likely uh to get into conflict with police officers, but this doesn 't fit. Into the less narrative or the right narrative, and so even though the social sciences have the data, it you know it doesn't become a, a, a political cause. Hmm.
2: Man, it, it's I think I think it's just interesting insight you're bringing us, Michael. Let's let's take a break and come back. I want to talk. More about, uh, I guess, the identity crisis that we're we're going through as a country, and and how do you fix it? I mean, how do you get everybody united around kind of the new melting pot idea, or and what does that exactly mean? More with Michael Lind and his um, his article, "How to Fix America's Identity Crisis." Stick with us, folks, helping to at least explore the dis- and open the discussion up about uh, what's what's going on behind the scenes here in America. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend show on the phone with us is Michael Lind. Michael is co-founder of New America. He's also uh, the the uh, author of the book Land of Promise: An Economic History of the United States, and a columnist for Salon and writes for the New York Times. He uh, today is talking about an article that he wrote in Politico: How to Fix America's Identity Crisis. And he's talking about this uh, this identity crisis that we've had as a country since the beginning, where it's 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 basically a battle of religion and race and it's gone on from the beginning and um, even our even how we were established we were established as a country that uh, was was for free white persons um, and then as the diversity starts to come in man it starts to create other issues uh, for us when it comes to religion and race Michael we appreciate you being with us again thank you and uh, again talk about um, take take me back and help me understand the this melting pot idea originally was a melting pot of uh, for white free white persons british irish german um that that um and, and try to and try to melt those those ethnic i mean those different countries together those cultures together but now i guess as we've been going we we've seen historically then a, an issue with uh, african Americans with asian Americans also had a rough history of actually being treated free and 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 also uh, now hispanic Americans this battle i guess has has gone on our entire history
7: yeah that's right and, and the good news is that uh, we got over the uh, earlier identity crisis if you go back a hundred years we didn 't have so called white Americans. You had Anglo-Americans looked with great fear and suspicion on on vast numbers of immigrants from Europe. Many of them lived in their own, you know, sort of ghetto ethnic neighborhoods, the Germans, the Irish, the Italians, the Poles, and so on. And so a lot of people concluded in 1900 or 1916 that all these radically different groups, you know, could never form a single nation, and they pretty much did. Right. By the 1950s and 1960s, later 20th century, uh, and so I think and it's. I'm optimistic. I, I think if you look at the trends towards English first language usage among second, third generation immigrants, towards intermarriage, which is the ultimate test of uh, assimilation and integration, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I think we can do a few things to heat up the melting pot so it bubbles a bit faster. Like what? What do you uh, think? One, well, one is. I think uh, it's kind of a trivial one, uh, but replace these uh, largely phony racial categories like Asian and Pacific Islander and non-Hispanic white with uh, ethnic categories. So that if if you have one Mexican grandparent, one Irish, one German, one African American, you don't have to pick a race. You have these multiple ethnicities that are all your own. So and that's kind of minor. The major one, I think we need to uh, strengthen – our civic rituals and, and uh, ceremonies and identification. You know, the great thing about the 4th of July, which we had recently, was that it transcends all of these uh, subnational identities. You know, it's, it's a real uh, completely national holiday. Our other holidays, uh, people tend to resegregate, segregate hmm, yeah. you know, along religious or uh, racial lines. Uh, and partly it was the libertarian right and the... Uh, the left in the '60s, they they rebelled against pled- saying the pledge of allegiance and civic rituals and you know the flag and all of this. It was oppressive and bureaucratic, and and so it might be hard reintroducing that culture of, of reverence for the nation state. But I think it, it played a major role in creating a common American identity that transcended race and religion and ethnicity.
2: And and even it just seems like uh, watching, you know, the election stuff recently, that every it seems like every question still comes down to your the category you're falling into. So I wonder how the African-Americans will respond to Mr. Trump's conversation here i wonder how the muslim americans are going to respond it's it's still everything gets broken into pieces instead of, it almost seems like there is no whole there's no whole america well,
7: well the 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 professional campaign experts it's all all uh, based on uh, targeting particular niches of voters hmm. and they have computer software so it's not simply african americans they break down african american grandmothers Oh, yeah. and non-Hispanic white millennials, <laughs> right. you know, on the, on the West Coast and things like that. So, no, I think it will take a real effort, because there are all these trends pushing us in the other direction. There's this kind of voluntary segregation of like-minded people, which social scientists have discovered. So, you know, conservatives tend to move to Texas, and liberals tend to move to Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and all sorts of itself out. Uh, but, you know, I, I think... Again, looking at the broad sweep of history, I think there's reason to be optimistic that, uh, you know, 50, 100 years from now, you'll have a much more unified country looking back the way we look back at at the disputes among the uh, white ethnic groups 100 years ago. It's something we transcended.
2: In fact, I I think the whole concept you're talking about comes up. Again, not to keep bringing up Trump, but he was of issue last night. This is a comment that he made about terrorism and immigration.
7: We must immediately suspend immigration from
1: any nation that has been compromised by terrorism until such time as proven vetting mechanisms have been put in place. We don't want them in our country.
2: I mean, there you have it—the identity crisis.
7: Well, we went through this in the twentieth century, where uh, in World War One, German Americans were persecuted, even if they, you know, were were totally patriotic and and you know their families had been in the country for generations because they were equated with Kaiser Wilhelm and Imperial Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germans weren't so persecuted in World War Two, uh, but you obviously had the internment of the Japanese. Right. including Japanese-Americans, you know, born and raised in the United States. So, so yeah, whenever the country is under threat, uh, you know, this kind of uh, nativism, uh, I mean, you, you can have a serious debate about what sort of measures you, you want right. to do. Right. Let's order say to
6: make
7: sure yeah you know, imp- jihadists are not immigrating. Uh, but, but I think it's just it, it's something to be aware of. And, again, this is where the dark side of our history I think, can warn us about
2: things that uh, we don't want to do in terms mm. of overreacting. And um, it, the, the interesting thing about the terrorist uh, issue is it's not it's not even just um, ethnic anymore. It's also religious, right? So now it's, I mean, when he says compromised yeah, by what, terrorism, what, what I, I mean, is. Northern Ireland's compromised by terrorism, Spain, Israel, so even white-ish people aren't allowed in if their religions are struggling or, or, you know, at issue?
7: Well, historically, uh, uh, non-Protestant religions have struggled in the United States, because the Protestant Christians came up with the idea of multiple denominations as a way of living and letting live by the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries in in the U.S. and in the English-speaking world. Uh, And so it was a great challenge 100 years ago for Catholic immigrants to say well, we claim to be the only true church, and the Protestants are heretics. And yet, how do we coexist in this Protestant society? Mm. And and uh, you know, many Jewish immigrants they had to, uh, you know, it, because Jewish law governs every aspect of life. And yet, in America, they were told, well, there's like the public sector where you behave like other people, and then at home you can, you know, be Jewish, right? So every uh, immigrant group has had to wrestle with this, and I think it. It's something now, probably uh, Islam in America in the long run will end up being like Catholicism in America and Judaism in America, where they kind of uh, there 's this uh, tension between the public sector and the and private faith which uh, but it, it is a challenge what would you uh, different cultural traditions
2: what would you do to counsel? Uh, political parties or politicians to, I mean, like, I guess replace, uh, you know, the phony kind of racial categorization, try to unify more and create more of a, a unified holiday, national holidays we could celebrate. What, anything else that you would suggest to our, our leaders, our politicians, that might not divide us the way they've been dividing us?
7: Well, I, I think particularly in the context of uh, of jihadism and, and, and Salafist uh, terrorism, we should emphasize um, ethnicities rather than religion, hmm. right? Yeah. So instead of saying that someone is Muslim-American, yeah. we should say that person is an Arab-American or an Iranian-American or a Pakistani-American, because when you say that someone is Muslim, that, that would be like saying that all people of
6: European right. descent,
7: are Christian-Americans. Right, right. And, and it, it, is, it is saying the most important thing about them is their religion, and this plays into the hands of ISIS and al-Qaeda, because the, the, uh, Islamism is a multinational mm-hmm. religious movement. Uh, and so and they're rebelling against uh, nationalism that would, that, of the older kind, Arab nationalism and South Asian nationalism and so on. So I, I think we should really drop this idea that there is this group called the Muslim community. Yeah. Uh, and, and say, no, we actually have people from different countries and, uh, you don't have to be a Muslim if you're an Egyptian. I mean, there are Egyptian Christians. Right. And there are Iraqi Jews and so on. So, you know, if, if we could get rid of treating, you know, treating religion as in ethnicity, I think that would,
2: would be a big help. Yeah. What do we do, um, Michael, just as an individual citizen? What can I do to teach my family, my children about kind of the new melting pot idea? I mean, it seems like my, my kids are so much more open to ethnicity, to diversity, uh, you know, almost every kind of difference in a, in a human that exists. My kids are already there. It's, it's the older generations that seem to be struggling.
7: Well, you know, sometimes uh, uh, J.D. Bernal, the scientist, said that the way science advances is you propose a new theory and wait for the old scientists to pass away. <laughs> so, you know, I think time will take its, its, yeah. its toll, and, and uh, in, a, in a good way, in this sense. Yeah. Uh, but we, we, you know, in, in many ways, the ethnic diversity and racial diversity problem is a class diversity problem because we tend to segregate along income lines. Right. Uh, and different groups are, are concentrated in different proportions. So any kind of civic institution or activity or recreational activity where you bring people, it's not just of different races, but of different classes together, uh, you know, I, I think that's very helpful. That's true, huh? Both and for kids, but, but also for citizens uh, in general. its I mean, to grow up and not know anybody who is not in your socioeconomic uh, stratum, you know, it, it's likely to be fairly segregated, but even if it's not, you know, you're, you, you have a 320 million people, most of whom may be unlike your particular yeah. family background.
2: Well, and it seems like that might even just be almost a, a kinder or an easier uh, conversation to have and navigate is class diversity versus races, because races races are so complicated.
7: Yeah, that's right, and uh, it's also more fluid, you know, that yeah. if you can you can get rid of poor people, you know, with the right appropriate policies. It's difficult, but, you know, for the most part, you can reduce poverty. You're not going to change people's uh, DNA.
6: Hmm. So,
7: uh, you know, and, and to the extent that this, the legacy of racism today manifests itself mostly in differences in uh, related to class, differences in home ownership rates,
6: mm-hmm. you
7: know, earnings potential, education. Uh, really you can address those differences by race-neutral measures, which would uh, disproportionately help African Americans and Latinos, uh, but they would also help a lot of uh, poor uh, non-Hispanic whites.
2: Yeah. So in the end, though, Michael, I'm hearing that you're saying there's, there's hope. There's hope that we can maybe turn up the heat a little bit on the melting pot idea and truly integrate as a country.
7: Yeah. You know, the the thing is, there are people whom I heard recently described as conflict entrepreneurs. It's a wonderful phrase. Yeah, Uh, They're on television. They're on radio. They work for the parties. They're trying to stir up hatreds, either to uh, win elections for their party or to sell their books or, you know, whatever. Uh, If you take the long view of history, uh, this country is more integrated uh, and more tolerant than it has ever been,
6: mm-hmm.
7: you know. So the other day I heard somebody say, Look, "The races are more divided than ever in the United States." Look, I was born in 1962 <laughs> in a segregated state,
6: yeah. Texas, yeah,
7: where family members were being arrested for dining at Woolworths with their uh, black friends,
6: mm-hmm.
7: you know, where there was this campaign of murder and bombing and so on in, in much of the South. Uh, and that's not to take away from the problem of of police shootings that, you know, that inspired Black Lives Matter or these assassinations of uh, police officers.
2: Right, right. But Uh, but it is.
7: But but even as recently as the 70s, you know, there were waves of uh, terrorism uh, in the United States. So I think you have to have a historical perspective. Yeah, I
2: think you're right on, Mike. Uh, It's... um... It, it, there's hope, and, and we are progressing. So I appreciate you, Michael Linds. His name. Go check out the website newamerica.org, and, uh, and his latest uh, book, Land of Promise, a History of the United States. We'll take a break, come back and uh, continue so hoping to see the good in the world, finding the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it really is, uh, it's so divisive. And I, I loved uh, Michael's, that term he mentioned called a conflict entrepreneur. And you can see it. The people that get on television or, or radio pitching this this idea or actually just being compensated to keep stirring the pot. And um, its it's also interesting, the minute we fight... Our, our differences, then the differences become magnified. One of the big rules I have as a social psychologist is, uh, you know, whatever you're communicating, you're, it's through your communication and interaction that you're going to create the symbols of life. And if we have a habit of always interacting negatively with each other, if we have a habit of always defending just our position, our whatever, one-tenth of the pie, then we never create this sense of unity. So start to think about it in your own life. What separates us is really very, very little as to what unites us. Ninety percent of what we are, no matter what in this country, we're alike. You know what I mean? I always say we're one disaster away from everybody understanding how much we need each other. And and then some of these other divisive issues go away. It's also interesting when you look at just the simple Uh, words on the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore send these the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Notice everything that's being stated there is a universal. Humans can be universally tired and poor and yearning to breathe free. It's those are very basic human needs, and everybody needs those needs uh, to be taken care of and met. Everything else that divides us, our color, our education, um, our level of income, is, it's, it's just a divider. It's not a unifier. So be careful. Let's unify around the principles of freedom, of um, equality, of love, of service, of charity. Let's just live what we believe, for heaven's sakes. Uh, we'll take a break. First hour, man. It's Friday. We'll be coming back next hour. More idea, more tools, more hope, folks. Life is good. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach. Your guide on the side. Not a sage on the stage. Your guide on the side. Everybody needs a little help, especially if you have a strong-willed child. We have a strong-willed board operator that we have been trying to break his will for well over a year now. And you haven't. <sighs> <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we will be talking today about 11 superpowers of a strong-willed child and how to break them. Now, if you've ever used the phrase, because I said so... Then
3: you've probably got a strong-willed child. Isn't that every parent? I don't know. Even if you really try not to, at some point, because the kid keeps asking, you have to use that phrase, because I said so. You don't have to.
2: But I can see, in your head, you're thinking, there are no other options short of a spongy noodle. What do we call those?
3: Swim noodle. You know what the problem with that is? What? When you say it enough, let's see if this works. Because I said so. Is that your son? That's my boy. (laughs) I go, why? And he goes, because I said so. And I'm like, oh. You've trained your child. You say it too much and they repeat it. And now he's going to use that. Yeah, he throws it at me all the time. Don't
2: make me pull this car over. Soon he'll be saying that. Yeah. Even though he doesn't drive. Or he he looks at me and he goes, you make me so mad. I'm like, oh, another (laughs) phrase. Children, gifts (laughs) from heaven sent to slowly kill us. By the way, I'm realizing as a grandparent... Because we're, we're babysitting my eight-month-old grandbaby, beautiful, almost nine months, I think. Um, you're supposed to have children young. Yeah. Just to keep up, just to get down on the floor.
3: Is oh, that's yeah. I mean, it's fun. So, or just do more air squats. You do more air squats. I do. I did like 400 the other day. That sounds offensive. I'm feeling it this morning. Oh yeah. You can do lunges. Oh, I lunged. things to keep your hips active so no, you can you know actually what? get yesterday, on
2: the floor. yesterday I was um, yesterday my wife brought home went to Costco and brought mm. home all this good food. Right. And I lunged for some of it. Right. <laughs> and I done pulled my hips out. Like donuts. <laughs> Mmm, donuts So we will talk about how to deal with a strong-willed child in a few moments We'll have an expert coming on to walk us through that Plus other headlines And uh, one of our contributors, Leanna Tan, will be joining us to talk about Pokemon Go She's
3: going to explain it all
2: She's going to explain why there are people walking around like zombies Mm. through the parks But first, let's get to uh, Caitlin Thomas Find out what's going on around the rest of the country Caitlin, what's up?
4: Thanks, Matt. Donald's Trump presidential campaign set an organizational record on Wednesday, ranking in $3.5 million, it said in a release. The single-day total is a record for the campaign which Trump said during the primary season he would largely, quote, self-fund. Donald Trump further expounded upon his position on banning certain people from entering the United States over fears of terror attacks, saying in his Republican National Convention speech that people from terrorism-ridden countries should not be allowed in. Quote, we must immediately suspend immigration from any nation that has been compromised by terrorism until such time as proven vetting mechanisms have been put in place. He said, we don't want them in our country. On Thursday, as Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump was promising to build a wall between the U.S. and Mexico and renegotiate NAFTA at the Republican National Convention, Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto was in Washington for a meeting with President Obama this morning. The Mexican president's visit was unveiled just last week. The White House dismissed suggestions that the visit had anything to do with Trump's GOP convention or the Latino vote. And lastly, Matt, 10-year-old Jesse Wilson may have slipped out of his bedroom window sometime after 9.30 p.m. on Sunday. It wouldn't be the first time. His mother says, my son has either gone out the window, which he has done before. Um, His mom told Arizona dispatchers when she found his bed empty early Monday morning. Neighbors say they occasionally saw Jesse walking around Buckeye late at night, but no one has seen him for four days, and he's never been gone this long. The circumstances around Jesse's disappearance aren't clear. One volunteer even says she questions the entire story. Jesse's mom was questioned on Wednesday and could be questioned again today. Officers say they'll continue searching today with help from a helicopter. Drones have also now been used as part of the search.
2: Oh, that's scary.
4: Scary. But there you have it. Those are your headlines for now.
2: Well, thank you, Caitlin. Appreciate it. Uh, a 10-year-old boy just slips out of the window. I'm just going out for a ride. That's scary. Yeah, it makes you question. My- My kids were never dangerous like that. Like, they would never risk. Like, even now, we're like, go sneak out the window. No.
3: My son won't try new food because he's convinced he'll get hurt. Really? Is it your cooking? No, it's my wife. She cooks wonderful food, but he doesn't like green things because they're yucky. Well, yeah, either does Ben, by the way. if there's a new food, he goes, no, I'll get hurt. I'm like, why will you get hurt? Because I said so. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Is that what he said? So, but but it's this, this sense of like riding a bike. He's terrified. Yeah. So it's taken a while to get him to that point. We had to try to get him to ride a scooter. Wow. And that took forever. And we, So we had to get him a, like, a, we got him a, a helmet. You get your kid a helmet to ride a bike. Yeah. We got him a Spider-Man helmet so that he'll put it on his head. It's you funny. Know, he's just very cautious. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, but yeah. I think I think he's been traumatized by- No. Don't. No, yeah. No, it's not lightsaber. the pool noodles. It's,
2: it's lightsaber fights. He
3: likes that. It's fun. He attacks me. Does he say that specifically? Yes, he does. But he's, he won't eat green- It's his idea. I never bring lightsabos. it up. He goes, let's fight, dad. I'm like, all right. <laughs> fight night. <laughs> ding, ding. Let's do it. <laughs> Game
2: on. Game on. Uh, interesting stuff. We could talk about uh, the GOP convention last night, but we're not going to because we're all GOP'd out.
3: Right. It but, happened. Trump gave us his message. It could have been. Uh, it was it, a message, it, and it was. It's either really, really dark or really, really calculating, mm-hmm. or calculated as how he targeted certain areas of the country. Yeah, something's going people. on.
2: He's either he either knows something or he's
1: crazy. Yeah,
2: and I don't know because he just got the GOP nod. For heaven's sakes,
3: remember how many times they're like, "This guy's not going anywhere."
1: And boom, just,
2: just boom, maybe, boom.
3: maybe a prediction that's not necessarily original, but you'll probably see more of Ivanka as we go forward. She was uh, yeah. very poised, very eloquent in what she said. I think her kids are all going to have a but shot in more. politics if they want it. Right. I don't know why you'd
2: want it, but they might you know, want it. Uh, this next week will be the Democratic side,
3: which you know is going to be fantastic. What's the chant going to be? I don't know. It was lock her up this week. What's it going to be? Unlock her. Unlock her. What do you say? I don't know. Yeah, that's going to be
2: crazy. What what other headlines do we need to
3: be paying attention to? I found this one in Australia. What's it? Eloria High Public School, Heights Public School, a primary school in Sydney, Australia, is instructing students to punch the air pull excited faces, and wriggle about on the spot instead of clapping their hands together. Hmm. They said the practice has been adopted to respect members of our school community who are sensitive to noise. When you okay. attend an assembly, teachers will prompt the audience to conduct a silent cheer if needed.
8: Could wow. you imagine how stupid that would look? <laughs> Just punching the air?
2: Yeah. That, I... I are there? I guess there are there a lot of people that are sensitive to noise. I mean, I'm sensitive to noise, right? But, but clapping, I, would, I wouldn't expect them to not clap. Yeah. But, but I've gone to a baseball game where my ears are ringing because right, it's. They're Says cheering.
3: teachers have also found the silent cheer is a great way to expend children's energy and reduce fidgeting. Yeah, because you're encouraging them to fidget. Every well, once in a while. Well, which maybe makes we sense. ought to work it with Ben. Nobody fidgets more than that kid. That was the other thing I saw yours. Um, Australian schools have offered some interesting alternatives to more traditional ways of cheering or playing or displaying any kind of emotion. Instead of hugs, one principal suggested high fives or a knuckle handshake. You know. Yeah, yeah. Give oh. knuckles. Teachers at a prestigious all-girls school have been asked to replace terms like girls, ladies, or women with gender-neutral terms like students. When addressing pupils, to be considerate of everyone. Humans. Humans. Let's all cheer. So. Perfect. There we go. Um,
2: that's just, let me just tell you, That's. there's nothing new about that story. Nope. It, that's the same old trick every parent plays when they're like, okay, we're going to have silent time. I'm going to pass around a box and everybody put your voice in it.
3: <laughs> you, yeah, you're not really putting ooh, your voice yeah. in. Yeah, it's a trick. They're trying to it's trick a you trick. into it. Um, Nielsen, the uh, people who do our TV ratings, they come yeah. with some interesting numbers. On average, the American adult are, is watching five hours and four minutes of TV a day. The bulk of that is about four and a half hours is live TV. Really? Yeah. I don't know if I can. 30 minutes or more come via a DVR. That's not in my house. 30 minutes or more come from a DVR. Yeah. But the rest of it's live TV. I don't watch live TV because it has the no. thing called commercials. Yeah, and I'm like, ah, need to fast forward. Not working. I think the Nilsons are they're just faking it. It says even though ratings are falling in the on the broadcast networks, don't quite have the glamour they used to. TV is alive and well. Question mark on Netflix? Probably not. It says that. That five-and-a-half-hour figure, uh, 19 uh, fewer minutes on average than Americans were watching two years ago, and three fewer than they were watching per day last year. You're watching less TV live, but the rate of decline slowed between last year and this year. So, hmm. It seems like uh, apparently the Nielsen family um, haven't yet caught on to Pokemon Go. No. People over the age of 50 watch the most TV. Somewhere in the range of 50 hours a week, according to Nielsen. So wow, yeah. that's closer to what you're doing in your life, Matt. Pardon? Pardon? In fact, people over the age of 50 are watching more TV per week than last year. People 24 and under are watching roughly two fewer hours of live TV and DVR programming a week. And 25 to 34-year-olds, uh, they're watching an hour less per week, down from 27 and a half hours to 26 and a half hours. So as you get older, there's more TV, well, because historically, the older those that are older now grew up on
2: TV. That is their habit. Right. But in the next 30 years, I think there will be significantly less live TV. You
3: think that will happen? Yeah. I don't know. I think everyone will just – I think fu- you get old and you just sort of fall into the habit. Like, oh, there's a TV. Well, you there. will, but you'll just watch your favorite vlog yeah. or you'll go to your DVR. Right. And- Speaking of, ABC is uh, kicking out a bunch of digital programming. They want you just to watch on your phone. Really? They, uh, There's a show called Boondoggle I'm Not sure what it's about But He's, you'll be able yeah. to watch it online via ABC's website Or one of its mobile connected TV apps It's one of seven new digital only shows The network is launching With dozens more to come throughout the year And they want It's not available on their broadcast side You have to go to an app or Your TV or your computer Or the tablet or whatever And be able to watch it there Do you watch TV on your phone? Yeah, no no? Like live stream stuff? Yeah. No. Do you watch, like, you watch, I you'll watch, like, a Netflix or something. I watch Netflix. Yeah, but that's, yeah,
2: I don't, yeah, that's not like.
3: See, I, I look at it like I'm watching on this little tiny screen and it's just annoying. That's why I'm, my next phone's going to be probably the size of an iPad. Right. Let's make it <laughs> huge. And finally, on New Year's Eve, just a little bit longer this year, the world's official clocks will have a leap second added to them Ooh. on December 31st at 23 59 59. There's going to be a pause. A coordinated universal time, which is like six fifty nine fifty nine 59 Eastern. Okay. Right? So they, uh, a leap seconds are periodically added in order to keep the Earth's atomic clocks, which are based on the natural vibrations of an atom, it says, which is you know probably more information than we need. They're adding a second.
2: Interesting.
3: So I didn't know they could just add a second. What are you going to do with that second, Matt? I'll probably just watch another second of a
2: Netflix show. That's what I will do. Put on another second of a Netflix show. I've got a crazy story. Um, Have you ever seen – do you know what a fawn is? A deer? Not fawn hall. A deer – like a baby deer? Baby deer. Okay. So a fawn – this is an incredible story. A a cute little baby deer – just imagine cute little baby deer, little Bambi, uh, got stuck in somebody's bathtub. Oh. And it's crazy. um, The Jefferson County Sheriff's Department in Colorado – Posted a photo of the wayward fawn in a tub, Mm. and it just went viral. Everybody loves it, thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. This fawn actually ran in the front door of someone's house. They probably chased it around. It ran into a bathtub, jumped into the tub, couldn't get out of the tub. Mm. And we, because we're big into video, we went and found a video of the cute little fawn in the tub – and I'm, I want to play it because it just it, ma- it made me so happy watching this video. Watch what this fawn is doing. It's amazing that it can even do this. He's squeezing rubber a rubber duck. Duck, duck, duck. He's got a great voice. It
3: sounds like Ernie.
2: No, I don't know what his name is. Really? It's just a fawn. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And he's got a crowd in there. Oh, the backup singers. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's like a goat and a oh, that's cute. I wonder how he squeezes the the duck mm. without with hoofs. I think he just kind of
8: presses his hoofs together. Oh, Was that what he was doing? Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, I thought he was like yeah, I thought he was like mm. praying or something. Oh, that's cute. Well, we'll come back. I want to. I don't know. Just seeing a fawn in a tub singing a makes, rubber duck song.
8: It's inspiring. It makes
2: mm. me happy. Makes me so happy. We'll take a break. When we come back, if you have a strong-willed child, you're going to want to listen to this next segment. Uh, We'll be speaking with uh, uh, Rini Jane, who um, wrote an article about 11 superpowers of strong-willed children and how to handle them. Pretty interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, grow stronger, healthier, happier relationships at home and with those you love. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever asked your child to do something, and when they, they ask why, you end up responding, because I said so. That approach will work for some children, but parents with strong-willed children know that answer won't cut it. Here to discuss how to help deal with the challenges of raising strong-willed children is Life Coach and author, Renee Jane. Uh, Reenie, we welcome you to the show. Thanks for being with us.
9: Hey Matt, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, excited to talk about strong-willed children. I mean, you want
2: your kids to be strong-willed, right? Until they exercise strong will against you. <laughs> then it must be stopped.
9: Exactly. You know, from a parent's perspective, we have the life experience, right? So right. why are you not listening to me?
2: We know what we're doing. We're the we parent.
9: Know what we're doing. We've been through it.
2: And what's funny, what makes it even worse is when you see that their strong will parallels kind of your traits or your character, and you're like, they're just like me. Ugh! Now oh, how am absolutely. I going to fix this?
9: They use those exact words that you use. They just turn it around. And <laughs> yeah. When you say them, it's okay, right?
2: So talk to us about this. When I get into it, I mean, I yeah, I want my kids to, to – you know, do what I say and and follow my will, Um, what, what do we do? How do we not crush their spirit and yet help them get through life and not be, you know, not offend everybody?
9: I think that's such a tremendous, insightful, important question, especially when you say crush their spirit. So I think the first step is to remember that they're not trying to crush our spirit. We take it so incredibly personally, right,
6: that
9: Mm -hmm. it becomes a matter of disrespect for us when we think they're not listening to what we're saying, right? So I work with a lot of parents who say, my child just doesn't listen. And, you know, um, the musician Pink actually said something so profound she said something like my mom took all my behavior personally and everything I did she thought was an act of rebellion but it was just me being me. Huh. So I think the Really is to remember that these are trial and error children, right? They don't necessarily learn through words. They're very experiential. And I think we get, when they're really young, we get super caught up with safety and hazards, of course, and that's understandable, right? You don't want your child to get burned or to fall from, you know, in the park, fall from the jungle gym, whatever. So we get very, Scared, and then we start. <laughs> what we do is we we say it once, and they don't listen. Then we say it again louder, like the volume right. has an effect. Right. right. Then we change our tone a little bit and get a little angrier and start growling. I think first, what we need to do is take a step back and say this isn't about me. It's about them experiencing right and learning from natural consequences. So that's always that's always it sounds simple it's not simple right it's not about me It's about them learning so once we get into that space then we our tone changes our body language changes it's not about us growling until they actually stop um and then i i have myself i work with a lot of kids and i also have a two and a three-year-old so i'm speaking from absolute experience here right I remember my kids are trial and error kids, and then I try not to say no constantly, huh. right? Because, no, don't do this. No, don't do that. No, don't do this. And I actually, years ago, uh, I grew up in Chicago, and there is an improv company there called Second City, which is pretty famous. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in improv, they do something that, um, where imp- improv actors rarely use the word no, on stage, because no, it stops the scene sort of dead in its tracks, Hmm. right, every single time. And they are asked instead to say, yes, and, right, this is these two words that you're taught, if, if you've ever taken an improv class, they say, listen, when you're on scene with someone, when you're on stage with someone, the actor says something, no matter how outrageous it is, you just say, yes. And so if I have a strong-willed child, if we're dealing with young children, they're jumping on the sofa, they're doing something where we think they're going to break their neck, right? Right. Right instead of saying, no, stop doing that, you know, you will not do that. We can say, yes, I see that you love jumping. I love jumping too. Why don't we try doing it on the trampoline outside, you know, or they're, they're drawing on the wall. Hey, it's awesome to draw. I love drawing. Yes. And, but you know what, it's hurting the wall. So maybe we can make a super duper awesome, huge canvas on this paper. Um, So really in, there's a little bit of redirection, but there's some empathy there. Do you hear it in the yes? Totally. Yes, I I get why you're doing that. I mean, please don't do it anymore. Yeah. Is what you're thinking, right? Right. I get why you're doing it. Why don't we do it another way? It's... um and Matt, you know, you know, as you know, this gets tiring, right? It oh yeah, exhausting to be to kind of creatively think of these things, but it becomes habit.
2: And what I love about the article is, you the, there's a reason this is a blessing to think of them having. Um, uh, this isn't just uh, what a, a trait that's going to eventually suck the life out of you till you die. This is a trait that they're going to learn through, and eventually, it's going to be a major resource to them later in life. I mean, having a strong will 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 make them leaders. It will make them more uh, more of a force in their own life. It, it's going to it's going to benefit them in the end. So you just you just have to kind of coach them through this power.
9: You have to guide them, and it really is a power, Matt, right? So we're talking about the child now who's not listening to you when you're saying, listen, drink your milk because it's good for you. But when they're at a party and they're, you know, 14 years old and someone's telling telling them to drink something they shouldn't, that is the child that is impervious not completely, but really to peer pressure yeah. because they have a very strong voice inside of them. They have that compass inside of them saying, listen, that's not really what I want to do. It's not what I wanted to do when I was a kid. It's not what I want to do now. That is a strong-willed child, and that is the superpower of strong-willed children. They make amazing entrepreneurs. They um, do, frankly, the research shows that they do financially better. Do they? I think, yeah, a lot of times we're worried about their success because we think, wow, this, this kid isn't listening. You know, he's not going to respect authority. He's not going to, to listen to anyone. How is he going to get along in life? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what we see is that a lot of people and what a lot of metrics of quote unquote success, they end up being really successful.
2: It's, it's always I, I have strong willed children. Well it's interesting. Some of them I wonder if they have any will. But um but but what I've noticed is with those that I know do have this strong will, sometimes I wonder if they're not going to crush others with it. Do you know what I mean? Like I worry as a parent like, "Oh, you've got to moderate that a little bit, child, because it's going you're going to you're going to steal the voice of other people because your voice is so strong."
9: I think that's a really important question, you know, especially when there's, um, I read this really interesting research recently where it shows that when you are in the presence of someone strong willed, that you either take on a stronger role or you take on a more submissive role, right? Right. And you don't want your child going around being the boss of everyone and and not opening themselves up to listening. But I don't think that those things are exclusive. I don't think if you're strong-willed means that you don't appreciate others, you can't listen to others, you don't, you can't cultivate that. Skill right. Set. I think cool. what it means is that you push boundaries. I think it means you're innovative, frankly, because someone's telling you something like. He, you know, my son does this thing where he twirls. So he's in a twirling phase, or he, yeah. and he falls down. You know, he gets dizzy and he falls down. So I say to him, Jude, you know, you're going to fall and hit your head on something. And he just looks at me and then he twirls again. Right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, all
2: right, twirl away.
9: <laughs> you have to learn for yourself, apparently. Right? You're not you're not listening to uh, what I'm saying. But it's interesting that after, and he's only two after he falls a couple of times, he comes over and he like puts his hand on his head. He says, mommy got hurt. You know? <laughs> like mommy said, got hurt. Right. Even at this young age, he's processing what I said. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they don't absorb it and process it. It's just that they're testing it out and pushing the boundaries a little bit. And I don't think it doesn't mean that they can't listen and won't listen to others.
2: Yeah. Talk about the, the um, you, you listed 11 superpowers. Of strong-willed children, do, and do you, do you suggest if you if you kind of diagnose your child as having a strong will, do you suggest you tell them about their superpowers, or does that create just a super monster? Um, do, so do I mean because it seems like that's empowering if you could identify, man, son, you have a really strong will, and and maybe start sharing with them some of these superpowers that you list in your article. It might actually be emboldening. It might be you know it might. Make them stronger, maybe in a good way.
9: Again, Matt, such a great question, right? So we don't want to make their head really big and make them so strong-willed that they're kind of unbearable, right? But I think... I really believe this with any child and really any person that if you look at them with a deficit focus, these are all the things that are wrong with you. It's easy to do with anyone. It's easy to do with a partner. It's easy to do, you know, it's easy to do with anyone. If we really look at what are the qualities that you can work with here? You know, what are the things that are going to be great for you? And we say it overtly, explicitly to them. I think it's extremely empowering, you know, while we're guiding them still. Listen, I think it's amazing that you learn through experience. I love that. I wasn't like that as a child. Whatever my parents said, I was like, okay, right? So I, you can say, I think it's amazing that you do this. But you know what might be Better next time, dot dot dot. Right? Right. So I think it's I think it's amazing that sometimes five of your friends um, wanted to dress up like Batman and you wanted to dress up like Robin or or whatever. Whatever the example is. That takes guts. That takes courage. That it's takes...
2: hard to pull off Robin. You know? <laughs> really That's hard mean, to pull off. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It
9: really is. But I think we need to highlight those things for them. I think it can be extremely empowering and then, you know, guide them, we are their guides. Yeah,
2: I love that idea. Um, let's actually do this. Let's take a break and then come back and go through the 11 superpowers of a strong-willed child. And, and, and really, I guess that's reframing them as positives instead of negatives that will tear you down as a parent. Uh, these, these are positive things. Stick with us, folks. We're speaking with Renee Jane. 11 superpowers of a strong-willed child. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, if you have a strong-willed child, don't, don't be discouraged. It's a gift. It's a blessing. It's a positive thing. According to our guest, Reenie Jane, uh, she is walking us through an article she wrote, 11 superpowers of a strong-willed child. You can find out more about Reenie Jane at her website, which is uh, reeniejane.com. It looks like it's Renee Jane, but they obviously don't know how to say her name. com is the website. She's a coach, an author, a speaker, and she's helping us understand uh, the emotional learning needed by our children. Rene, thank you so much for being with us.
9: I'm so happy to be here, and I think it's such an important subject. Thank you for having me
2: on. You bet. Talk to us about, you wrote down 11 um, and identified 11 superpowers that come with a strong-willed child. And this is, I guess, how we turn a negative, um, something that we think, you know, might be an obnoxious trait of a strong-willed child, and turn it to a positive. It's a gift or a benefit that down the line can deeply impact their
6: life.
9: Absolutely. And I having two strong willed children myself, I really was writing from experience on this one. And I feel like let's, you know, let's go through some of these things on the list, because they are things that you can hang up on a piece of paper, maybe on your refrigerator. And when you are experiencing one of those moments where you're thinking, why is the child not listening to me? (laughs) Look at the list and think about what is it? What's the blessing? What's the superpower here?
2: right? Right, right. There's, there's something going on. First of the list is that, and, and you're, you're stating these as, uh, I guess, as, again, as things you can put up on the wall so they see that. The first one says, you are mentally tough.
9: That's right. They don't give up easily. You know this, right? You yeah, know this if you're totally. grown a strong-willed child. So they're not going to quit right? When they can't win, they dig in their heels, they stay focused on their goal. No matter what that is, whether it's cutting up a piece of paper or starting to learn a sport, they, they're they tough, right? They don't yeah. give up.
2: That's so, and honestly, that's good. I mean, but then meanwhile, the sport, you know, you want them to, to not give up. But meanwhile, at home, when they want to build a fort, they also may not give up. <laughs> they They want a fort, mom. They want a fort. Oh,
9: they want a fort. They want a fort. It doesn't matter if you need to leave to dinner. It doesn't matter if you, you, know, if you have guests coming over and we need to clean the fort up. They want a fort. They're building yeah. the fort.
2: <laughs> it's so true. It's happening whether you want it or not. Another point you bring up is you aren't always swayed by peer pressure.
9: That's right. You know, we talk about what are we going to do when our kids get into that space? and they're influenced by a friend that might not be such a positive influence. We want our children to have a very strong voice inside of them that guides them. These kids are born with a strong voice and if we can nurture that voice and help guide it, right, then they will maintain it. And so instead of us crushing their spirit and crushing that voice, let's remember that it's going to be a blessing when they're in peer situations.
6: Mm.
2: And, and that would be such a valuable conversation to have with your kid that peer what peer pressure is. I mean, I think we all do it, but you you because of your your trait as a strong-willed child, you aren't going to be swayed. That's, That's get violent. that idea in their head that they they just aren't. They don't have to take the bait.
9: That's exactly right. And I think, you know, what we were talking about earlier that It's good to listen to others, right? Keep your mind open because we don't want them to be closed-minded. Right. Keep your mind open and listen, but you don't have to be swayed, right? Trust your instinct and your opinion and your inner voice. You suggest that
2: uh, these kids are going to be uh, entrepreneurs. They're going to, I guess, be creative developer creators.
9: Yeah, absolutely. And this is research-based. So kids who challenge the status quo, right? Strong-willed kids. Who have these particular traits, even rule breaking and defiance—things that we think of as, you know, disrespectful and and think is going to get them in trouble later. Well, a lot of those children end up being our business leaders of the future,
6: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> or presidents of the United States.
9: <laughs> yeah, we won't. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get you. <laughs> no, I
2: we're good, <laughs> Um It's 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 an interesting. It really is. Again, right now they drive us crazy because they question everything but I guess the research is saying that will enable them to maybe see a different way to create a different product, you know, innovate.
9: Right. I mean, if we just think about it on a really simple level, if everything we, if our child only became everything we taught them and never pushed further, they would just become us, right? Right. There would be no new people in the world. There would be no new innovation in the world. And so, at some level, we want them to test the boundaries.
2: It's so true. We're not, We don't want them to just be like us. Isn't that funny? We but, like, but we, we parent we them as like, us. just quit being different than me. Just be like me. But then in the <laughs> end, we really want them to really be so much different.
9: Well, we are amazing, Matt. I mean, yeah.
2: I mean honestly. Don't get me wrong. We totally know that. Um, one of the things you mentioned, too, is this stick-to-itiveness is the get, they'll get back up after they fall and fail i mean it's it's their failures their their slips in life they're going to be able to kind of reset
9: they are resilient so it's interesting because i actually teach this as a skill to children because resilience is a skill yeah but they have a wellspring of resilience within them you know yeah they they fall down they get back up they're trying again when they decide to, you know, call it a day or, or fold their cards, it's because they did it on their terms. But they're not about to be set back by life circumstance.
6: That's good.
2: I mean, because again, it's going to be handed to them over and over and over. Uh, and another point you bring up that I think is super important for the kids to know and parents to know is um, the, the self, uh, you know, the strong wheel child might have more of a self starter kicker in them. They're probably more able to self-start.
9: Yeah, it's it's interesting. So if you're listening to this and you're a parent or you've been around kids who are strong-willed, those are the kids that don't sit, you know, in the corner and necessarily color with their crayons for hours and hours on end. They're always kind of scurrying around doing something. They are self- Motivated, They are interested at poking and prodding and, and finding things that interest them. And that engine keeps going. It's a beautiful thing to nurture. Now, while at home, sometimes it feels frantic and hectic and like your child is. Mm-hmm. But remember, they're self-motivated. They're self-starters. It's an amazing strength to have. Oh, yeah. And
2: honestly, I, I love the idea that that every one of these things that could start out as such a negative um can be can be turned and spun into such a positive potential trait and i think i think that's the key to everything i'm learning um in your article is we we as the parent are the ones that have to show more we have to show more character more integrity dealing with these kids because they're they're pushing us harder and yet we also if we do it appropriately if we if we do it right we're going to help them frame a, a trait into a really positive tool set.
9: I think that you're hitting the nail on the head here because if we familiarize ourselves with all of these strengths, right, when we're in the moment where it feels like a crisis, when we're with our child and they're not listening to us, we can easily reference what we've already learned. And it just makes it so much easier to handle a situation and to treat our children with respect, Hmm. you know, when they're being strong-willed.
2: What do we do, Rini, um, when we as a parent maybe question our own will to handle the strong-willed, when our own character, um, our own reactivity in the moment is getting in the way? What are some tools we can do as a parent to maybe take a step back?
9: So this is what I... right with parents it's an imperfect practice of course and the first step is please have some self compassion I meet parents every day that beat themselves up regularly for the way that they parent and these are parents that are devoted and loving to their kids right so please let's be a little bit kinder and easier to ourselves and the next thing I really really would love parents to focus on is think of yourself As Yoda, okay? You are a Jedi Knight. Yes, you're Yoda. And Jedi Knights have the force within them. These are our own strengths, these are things that we've cultivated over years. And when your child is doing something where you're feeling reactive, like you just that scream, that growl is coming out, take a moment to pause and channel Yoda ask yourself, what would Yoda do, right? (laughs) Yoda was a mindfulness master. He can call him a Jedi Knight, that's fine, I love Star Wars, but he was a mindfulness master. He would bring himself into the moment and instead of reacting, he would respond. And there's a big difference between a reaction and a response. A response is something that's strategic, is a response to something that's thoughtful, and I think if you have a list of these superpowers at hand, that you can channel Yoda at any time. you Dig into your force, your own strength, and then you guide your child. Hmm. And you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Skywalker made a million mistakes. Right. right?
2: He crashed his his X-wing into the swamp, for heaven's sakes, and Yoda had to bail him out.
9: Come on, he almost killed his dad.
2: Not to get technical, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's a, bad, that's a, that's a super uh, strong-willed child, Luke was.
9: That's a super strong-willed child, that's right.
2: As we wrap it up, what would you say? I always ask for the one thing. What's the one thing that makes the biggest difference when it comes to managing, effectively leading our strong-willed child?
9: Remember, they are their own spirit, walking their own path, and you are
6: their guide. Mm.
2: That's profound, isn't it? They, they're their own spirit, walking their own path, and you're just there to be the guide.
9: That's right.
2: That's good. Good stuff. Rini, Jane, thanks so much for your great insight, and uh, appreciate the, the, uh, the time you are willing to give us.
9: Thank you so much, Matt. It was a pleasure and an honor.
2: You bet. Everybody go check out the website, reenejain.com, spelled R-E-N-E-E-J-A-I-N.com, reenejain.com. And you can get more information about her books and all of her services she offers there. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking uh, about Pokemon Go. It's taking over the world, folks. This is where we need Yoda to get us through the Pokemon Go craze. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, you will see them in the parks and other public areas, sometimes in groups, staring at their phones, sometimes cheering and talking about Squirtle, Charmander, Jigglypuff, and Vaporeon. Sounds like a, a date with Ben Wasden. Yep. Uh, Those are creatures called Pokemon, and these odd people are playing the wildly popular Pokemon Go game. One of our producers, Leanna Tan, has uh, put together a segment, uh, you know, to help us understand what is going on with Pokemon Go. She's going to give us the basics.
1: Let's check it out. In a world where there are only Autobots.
10: They're everywhere. Innocent people are getting hurt. They're taking over the world. You'd better brace yourselves. It looks like robots might be taking over the world. Well, at least that's what I thought when I saw people walking like zombies from all parts of the neighborhood, pulled by some unseen force and being lured to the same spot. People are gathering by the hundreds, directed by some virtual world, and entranced by imaginative characters, forgetting the real world around them. I didn't realize what was happening to the world until one night I opened my door and saw all my neighbors come out of their houses, phones in hand, wandering around like they were in a trance. And every night when I pass by the city library, I see swarms of people gathering on the steps. There's one culprit, Pokemon Go. Can one simple video game really be controlling the minds of everyone around me? I had to figure out what was going on. So how does Pokemon Go work? Like, How do you play it?
11: Well, basically, uh, Pokemon Go is set up in such a way that the map is the world. You like walk around and they're like, Pokemon placed places, and then you like walk to it and like find them. And it uh, maps these major points as gyms, so you can train your Pokemon. And then you join a team and your team is trying to take over different gyms.
10: What's the point in catching Pokemon?
11: Just to collect them.
10: What happens if you catch them all?
8: Um, a sense of self-satisfaction and you can show off to your friends that you caught
11: them all.
10: So literally, you're just catching Pokemon. Yeah. There's no
11: goals. I mean, the goals is basically the goal is to help your team take over all the different gyms in the city you're in. So when does the game end? It's not really a game that you beat. It's just sort of one of those things where once you're kind of bored of it, I guess, is when, you finish, when you're done with it.
10: How often do you play?
11: Probably four or five times a day.
12: Whenever I get a free moment,
8: any free moment I can, I'll go and walk around a little bit. Me and my cousin caught like 57.
10: How long did that take you?
11: Like two days.
10: Have you seen any accidents happen?
5: I almost ran into a sign once.
11: Well, two guys already fell off a cliff in California doing it. The other day, I actually was driving, and uh, this girl, she was trying to like get it so that way the Pokemon would activate so she could catch it. But she was kind of in the right-hand turn lane, and somebody was coming up behind me, and I saw them that they were turning right and our light had just turned green. I made sure to honk my horn just so that the person turning right could see that there was somebody there, so that way they didn't turn in and hit her. So
10: what advice would you have for fellow Pokemon Go
11: players? <coughs> uh, be careful. Control yourself, control the amount of time that you spend on it, and uh, watch watch your step.
10: Uh, what is the thrill about Pokemon Go?
11: For me, it's just n- nostalgia. I just like the strategy of it all.
10: So I've made a few friends playing Pokemon Go.
11: We got him! We got him,
10: all right! Is it a good activity to do with your son?
11: Yeah, it gets us out a lot. You're like playing a video game and exercising at the same time.
10: Well, it sounded to me like there was something I was missing out on, and I wouldn't be able to truly understand unless I tried to catch a little Pokemon myself. And I knew just the person to teach me. I took a trip to my hometown and went straight to the source. The best of the best, the gaming guru, my younger brother. We're headed to the mall. How do you know where the Pokemon are?
8: Uh, there's a tracking system in the game.
10: Okay, now teach me how do we do this. No boy. So how do we know if there's a Pokemon? You just keep looking at the map? Uh, if there's a Pokemon around you, it'll vibrate. Okay, let's find some. There's a lure right here. It's running into a tree as you speak, this is a dangerous game. Oh, there's another one what right here. The,
8: how did I get thirty? Oh, there's
10: another one right here. You got a Pokemon?
8: So, great Pokeballs have a higher chance of collecting the Pokemon than regular Pokeballs do.
10: I want to catch it.
8: Okay, so I just. Pidgey popped up, so you click on the Pidgey.
10: Okay, now how do I do this?
8: So you, so you grab the Pokeball.
10: Okay. And it's then gonna you fly flick
8: away. it like a basketball game. Like the how basketball do, how, game. How hard do I
10: need?
8: It depends. The harder you flick, the further it goes.
10: Oh, I hit it. I caught it. I got my first Pokemon. Looks like these game makers have caught us all. This is a game people love because it makes their virtual world into a reality. But people, people, please, don't forget that there is still a real world around you. To avoid walking into any other hazardous situations, and to optimize your gaming experience, just follow these three simple safety tips. Number one. If Pokeworld has turned your home into a Gym, be sure to start investing in a 20-foot-tall steel yard fence and some security guards. Number two, remember that Poke World shows the roads, not the oncoming traffic, and the pain of a two-ton automobile ramming into you isn't virtual. Number three, no matter how enticing the computerized confetti looks, don't follow lures into dark alleyways, warehouses, or windowless vans. Well, it doesn't look like this madness is going to stop. Bad news is, we're being overtaken by handheld robots. Good news is, at least we're fighting obesity as we do it. Well. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent.
6: Gotta Okay, bud.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody,
2: to the Matt Townsend Show Hour number three of the show. Holy cow, it's Friday. You get to have a day off. Many do. Some have got to work. Terry's got to mow the lawn. I did that yesterday. You're all ready for the party. All set. It's a it's a it's a local holiday in Utah, so it's state holiday. So, you know, we you know we're gonna go out and sweat. I've got some picnics to go to. I got a rodeo to see. Fireworks. Yeah! It's going to be a great uh, – in fact, Ben, I'm sure, is making ice cream. It's going to be a great weekend for everybody. Except for that
8: parade. I actually just made my ice cream yesterday for today.
2: Really? So. Did, you, what, did you bring it so we could try it?
8: No, it's actually being sold somewhere, so I, I wasn't able to bring you oh. the stuff I'm selling to somebody else.
3: Well, that's kind yeah. of Well, Why don't rude. you why don't you just make – if you need to give them 20, make 21. What's, yeah, what's the big we, deal? We have money. Not that we give really, so you really, so you'd actually pay me for well, the ice cream yeah, that I Sadie bring. Yeah, Sadie would, Caitlin,
2: yeah. they would for sure. Okay, I mean, we of course would get it for free just because we're we pitch your goods. Well, that's obvious,
8: right? Yeah, like, yeah. You do put my ice cream in a really good light.
2: Yeah, we do. Really good light. In fact, you got to use a blue light. To <laughs> just, just to be know safe. That just cream, to be you know safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to be rude. <laughs> right hey, sure. um, we got a great show for you today. We will be talking about Parent Preview with parentpreviews.com. Our good friend Rod Gustafson will be there talking about Ghostbusters. Who are you hmm. going to call? Ghostbusters. And also Star Trek Beyond. Um, in fact, man, Terry, do you know anything about Star Trek Beyond?
3: Surprisingly, no, I don't. Okay, good. I haven't really it. looked into it at all. Wow, that was a that was a nerd trap right I'm, there. I'm busy. You didn't fall for the nerd trap. So I won't be able to see it. So, so um. we'll be
2: talking with Rod. We're going to be playing a game, true or false, about Donald Trump. Things yes. do you really know enough about Donald Trump at the end of a week of talking about the Donster? Our future president, how much do you know about him? I mean, you should know stuff. We'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> plus, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We'll find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. And then headlines galore, including one, um, you know, one crazy story about a a $1,000 tip that was taken back. Rude. We'll get to that. Stick with us. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas, find out what's going on in the headlines. Caitlin, what's up?
4: Thanks, Matt. In his RNC speech Thursday night, Donald Trump played on recent terrorist attacks and a spade of violence in the country, promising that, quote, safety will be restored if he wins the election, proclaiming himself the law and order candidate. Trump said he could put a stop to crime and violence. Beginning on January 20th of 2017, safety will be restored, he said, without elaborating on how specifically he could put an end to the nation's crime and violence. And now with an end to the Republican National Convention, Democratic presidential nominee nominee Hillary Clinton is expected to announce her choice for running mate, via email Friday afternoon and to appear with her new pick on Saturday in Miami. Senator Elizabeth Warren said Thursday night that it's quote probably not going to be her and sources close to Clinton say she'll likely choose Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia for his popularity in the battleground state, the New York Times reports. Still New Jersey Senator Cory Booker made a final pitch for the role Thursday in Cleveland, posting a photo on Twitter featuring the two embraced in a hug. The Washington Post also reported that Booker Kaine and Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack were the final three competing for the spot. So we will find out more about that later today warnings of blistering temperatures were expanded friday to include parts of 26 states as a days-long heat dome scorched much of the nation triggering dangerous thunderstorms from austin to boston <laughs> temperatures were forecast to push triple digits with the heat index a measure of how hot it is reaching 115 degrees in isolated spots. As many as 122 million Americans were under some sort of heat advisory in an area that stretches 830,000 square miles, and it could be even hotter on Saturday. Saturday looks to be the peak day for the heat on the East Coast. NBC meteorologist Bill Caron said the end of the heat wave appears to be with a cold front on Tuesday, so Mm. be careful. It's hot out there this weekend.
3: Peak heat dome. Heat dome!
4: And lastly, I am going to talk a little bit about Star Trek Beyond for you, Matt. Excellent. Before opening the Skydance Bad Robot 3quel Star Trek Beyond, Paramount had a couple of fan activities planned that it hoped would escalate the opening weekend from its current low $50 million projection up to $60 million. So they had a bunch of Star Trek characters make appearances at Comic-Con this week. Star Trek Beyond will play in 3,800 locations this weekend, including 391 IMAX theaters, and it will take off in 37 foreign markets, repping close to 50% of its overseas presence, with major ports being the UK, Australia, Russia, and Germany.
2: Wow. So wow. there you have it. Killing it. Thanks, Caitlin. That's uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I'm not a big Star Trek fan. but Really? I, I mean, d- apparently, there's a lot of people that are. I just want to know if Wolverine's going to be in this one. No. It's a different movie. Yeah. I don't see how Wolverine
3: would be in that movie. Now, Thor. Thor, maybe. Because Thor is actually Captain Kirk's dad in the movie. Not Thor, but the actor who plays Thor. Yep. Nerd alert! It totally worked. We drew you right in to the nerd trap. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You'll see. It works every
3: time.
2: You're not a big Star Trek guy.
3: No, it's not that. I'm just I have things to but accomplish. But you knew Wolverine
2: wasn't going to be in there, and you
3: knew Thor. Well, you can tell they're, they're not going to cross Marvel movies over with Star Trek, or are they? No, they're not. They're
2: so desperate, it seems to get not content. that desperate.
3: It's Star well. Trek can stand by itself. It's fine. It's a wonderful film. They're going to wreck a starship. They Alert. do it every Nerd. time. It's fine. Yep. They I've already. I, I've seen a scene where they they do the saucer separation, Pardon? which is no! like. Peak nerd when they separate the big saucer part yeah, of the yeah, Enterprise yeah. from the rest of it. What is it? Is it really just a saucer? Yeah. It flo- it, it takes off as a as its own individual ship. Oh, and, and they leave the other wings behind? That turns into more of a, a battle platform. And they're called nacelles, just so you know. Why would I want to know that? I don't know if you want to. I'm just clarifying. They're not wings. They're nacelles. There's a
6: There's a nacelles.
3: That uh that uh, brought to you by Nerdorific,
2: the new movie that uh <laughs> That's crazy. Really?
3: Just watch Star Trek Next Generation, they tell you all like, about don't it. Don't
2: you ever just like read another book
3: that's just a, a book about I yeah, don't know. I'm reading a book about the Wright brothers right now. Okay. That'll be that'll come in handy. What do you mean? It's history. When we need a nerd update, two bicycle <laughs> so mechanics. That's, that's
2: incredibly handy.
3: From Dayton, Ohio, so when do you have time to read Marvel comics? When they show up, I get them every every once in a while. I just finished some DC comics. You actually read them? I have them at home. I have a subscription. I'm sure you do. Yeah.
2: What? <laughs> right. No, nothing. I do. No, nothing. I know. I understand. You need another baby. Yeah. Pretty soon. I wonder if that'll change everything. No. I'll just I'll
3: just get more. I hope it changes everything. Like Christmas hits, I just I give them a bunch of comics. This I cute
2: little girl, though, won't want to do all the nerd stuff you want to yeah, do. Yeah, she will. I will make her. She'll be like, wow, well, Dad, what's that? And you must like. submit to my nerd life. That's cool. Man, I'm glad you got something. That's great. Beats ice cream. Not to be rude. hold on, hold on. I'm not on, trying to be rude. I'm just saying. Beats ice cream.
8: I don't see how that beats ice cream. I bring oh. joy to no, 90% don't. of the world. Well, actually... Ice yeah. cream brings joy to 90% there of the world, go. and I'm a part of that, right. no, yeah. that movement, that social entrepreneurship.
2: Okay. Hmm. Hey, did you hear um, this crazy story? A customer, apparently inebriated, mm-hmm. left a $1,088 tip.
6: Hmm. It's
2: kind of an odd number, but okay. At the, at the, uh, um, at the restaurant Tylicious in Edgewater... And um, so they received this incredible tip and they're all excited. Holy cow, they're making all this noise. So excited. The server got the tip. Life is great. And the very next day, the moment they open the restaurant, this guy comes in and he's like, yeah, I was here last night. He said, I, I'm sorry. Last night I, I was drunk and um, I didn't know that I put all of my money in from my checkbook and wrote the check, you know I meant I meant to give you know I meant to give her like a $100 dollar tip, so they ended up losing their thousand dollar tip.
3: Can you do that? Just take the tip back. Can you de-tip? Apparently, can you untip?: I don't know if it's really a socially proper behavior because you kind of committed. Yeah, I've given you. I mean, it's a transaction. And then you go back. I'd like a refund on my oh, tip. I would love to give you that refund, sir, because you were inebriated. But we've already spent it. Here was the ten bucks I was hoping to give you, or whatever. Yeah,
2: she gave uh, the money back to him, and he gave her one hundred dollars to cover the dinner mm. and about sixty dollars for the rest of the tip. Mm. So that's still a pretty high tip. It's not a thousand bucks, but yeah, he, he made the happy customer. Remember, the cast customer's always right. Make the customer happy. Right. Well, unless there's $1,000 involved. Exactly. Let's be honest. And, you know, there's a rule. You shouldn't drink and tip. I mean, it seems obvious. It's probably a good rule to
3: live by. It's crazy. <laughs> totally sad. What else is going on in the headlines? So there was this guy. Border guards in Switzerland received a quite a shock I believe this was last month, when they watched a full-grown man emerge from a, inside a normal-sized suitcase. <laughs> the AP reports a 21-year-old man was trying to smuggle himself into Switzerland aboard a train from Italy. Guards boarded the train to check passengers' documents and immediately became suspicious of the suitcase, which was traveling with the man's friend, according to the Telegraph. It was not hard to know there was a person inside, given the weight and the movement of the suitcase. That that suitcase sure twitches a lot. <clears throat> So the suitcase was extremely heavy, and it was kind of moving by itself. So and every like, time you mm. kicked it, it made a grunt sound. So the, uh, the telegraph, they quote a border guard saying, Guards removed the suitcase from the train, then watched as the man started unzipping it himself from inside the suitcase, <laughs> right? He attempted uh, smuggling. The attempted smuggling was even more impressive for the fact that he's six foot tall. What? So a full-grown man. Inside a suitcase. Usually, it's you know a smaller person. We've yeah. heard of children and right, you know sort of right. some sadder situations. Yeah, this guy's six foot tall, squeezes into a suitcase <laughs> to try to get into Switzerland. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. Don't you wonder how they they said they removed the suitcase from the train and then he unzipped it? I bet they tossed the suitcase yeah. off the train. That's what I would do. You just roll it down the steps off the you train. Hear this. Ugh. <laughs> Now, and then there's unzipping. How do you get a six foot guy into I don't a know. well that sounds like a great joke, though. How do you get a six foot guy into a suitcase? Very flexible, yeah, very carefully torsionist that's crazy news. Anything else we need to worry about other than you know people being
3: smuggled in via a suitcase? according to a new study, eating fruits and vegetables increase happiness <laughs> <laughs> The researcher says, How totally however, disagree, however french fries? Yeah. They do not count. Well, that's a vegetable. Researchers from England, uh, England's University of Warwick and the University of Queensland in Australia examined the food journals of more than 12,000 people. Happiness benefits were noted for each extra portion of produce consumed each day. For people who went from eating little to no fruit and vegetables each day to eating eight portions, the feel-good factor was on par with that of the experience From uh, going from being jobless to being employed. Uh, We need to do a test of this research. says, while the health benefits of eating produce are well-known, they don't offer immediate gratification. The well-being improvement kick in after about two years of adopting the high-produce diet. So you don't actually feel happiness until
2: two years into it, when your taste buds have been destroyed and you have no longer reason to live. You have no memory of the previous good food. Yeah. Let me just suggest, as a man that uh, ate a whole, uh, I don't know what you call it, a whole load of cherries. Okay. A lot of cherries don't make you happy. Why? I don't know. I'm not going to get into it, but it's just, let me just say...
3: Some things are better to not overconsume. Well, yeah, you don't want to overdo anything. No. I I drank too much water once as a kid and lost 10 pounds. Did you really? I did. I've
2: been drinking a lot of water lately.
3: Not that much. I drank two gallons in an hour and went to bed. And you lost 10 pounds? The next morning, yes. Wow. Yeah. You you could have died. I could have. I felt like I was going to. Jeez. Where were your parents? They were upstairs. They're like, why are you drinking so much water? I'm thirsty. I'm I'm testing something out. So the next morning, everyone figured it out? Yeah. That's yeah. bad. Yeah, it was not good. I would recommend not drinking that much water. And don't eat a box of cher- cherries. And don't eat a box of cherries. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy mowing your lawn? No. Uh, do you think anyone does?
2: I actually, I love it, but we have a big lawn.
3: And I, I love it because I, I get to think a lot. See, I would like it if I had a riding lawnmower because it'd be kind of fun to have a little tractor. That would be fun, yeah. And my wife seems to think like our yard isn't necessarily big enough for a tractor. Well, I'm like, what does that even mean? Big enough for a tractor. I mean, really. She doesn't mow the lawn. Even if all you needed to do was pass it once. It's a skill. It's worth having. Right. You never know when you'll need a tractor. Well, uh, according to The Atlantic, the average home size has increased about 50% since the 1970s to 2,500 square feet. Meanwhile, the average yard size has shrunk by more than a quarter. The fact that the average lot size has shrunk 400 feet in the past five years alone isn't helping. There are any number of reasons for the shift. Developers maximizing profit, dwindling uh, undeveloped land, and a move back towards city centers. People are spending less time outside. And also like environmental concerns. Yeah. So the whole article is about the twilight of the American lawn. The lawn's gone. The lawn's going away. And I think a lot of people just don't want to mow their lawn anymore. I don't. So you, you, And it, the water wasted. So have more house and less land to have to yeah. deal with.
2: My neighbor added so much to his home that he really hardly has any property. He actually has asked other neighbors if they would sell their backyards to him. No. Yeah. Because he lost his yard. There you go. Yeah. I thought if you didn't water it, it would shrink.
3: It just turns brown. Yeah, just brown. Yeah.
2: Then the neighbors complain. (laughs) Then you got to fix it. I hate looking at your lawn. Man, everybody, if I were you this weekend, go check your backyard. Make sure it's still there. Yeah, it might be shrinking. Apparently it's shrinking. It's going away.
3: (laughs) Maybe your house just grew and you were unaware.
2: Honey, where did the backyard
3: go? I don't know. I saw it last week. We will uh, take a break, folks, when we
2: come back. We're going to be talking movies and uh, getting into some of the greatest releases, latest releases. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the uh, Matt Townsend Show. Because it's Friday, we want to go to the movies. Who better to help us to review some of the movies that are coming out uh, this weekend? Um, But Rod Gustafson from parentpreviews.com. And uh, Rod's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Rod, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, Matt. How are you?
12: I'm doing. I'm doing fine. The summer is just flying past a little past a little bit too quickly, but no. otherwise good.
2: And and you've you've had it seems like some pretty good movies to go watch and and to uh, preview for us.
12: Well, you know, we've had a couple of surprises that we weren't expecting. And uh, and seeing as we weren't together last week, you said you were talking about movies coming out this. Yeah, that's week, right. So we've got one of those too, but. Let's let's rewind a week and go to Ghostbusters. Yeah,
2: what did starring, you think of that?
12: Well, starring Melissa McCarthy, I went in expecting, oh, no, this isn't going to be so good. And it's done by the same director that made Bridesmaids. That was that that was that R-rated uh, chick flick that came out a couple of years ago that was full of lots of craft and crude humor. Right. And so I was expecting Ghostbusters to follow in that path, especially because... For those of us who may not remember all that clearly, I know for a lot of us, we have, and when I say us, I'm talking to people my age, we have fond memories of those 1980s films. And I went back, I watched it a couple of years ago, and I thought, wow, there was a lot more sexual innuendo in here than what I remembered. (laughs) And so I figured the new Ghostbusters, if anything, would be worse. But the good news is, it's actually a lot better. Uh, it doesn't mean that this is still some that this is the film that you're going to want to uh, take the eight-year-olds to, but even relative to the old Ghostbusters, it's better, and relative to other projects that Melissa McCarthy has been in, uh, it's much, much better. Yeah. And so that was that was a good news. It's actually quite funny, and uh, it's a couple of moments of sexual innuendo, but it's pretty veiled. Probably the biggest issue for parents is going to be that there are ghosts in the movie, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and uh, and so that's going to be scary for, for little kids. You know, I'd, I'd heed the PG 13 rating, but otherwise, it was a uh, surprising good time. You've got a little bit of profanity, but even the profanity is relative to most other PG 13 movies quite light.
2: Man, it's what, well, and, and a great cast, really, right?
12: Yes, Kristen Wiig also in it. And, uh, yeah, it really, it really it worked quite well. The best cast member is Chris Hemsworth. Now, I hate to say that because a lot of people are excited that we've got four women playing the right. lead role. And by the way, those four women, they play actually intelligent women who are solving problems using their brains and, uh, and it really, that was also a very refreshing change. But Chris Hemsworth is kind of a, a flip on the usual sexual stereotypes, because Chris plays the dumb blonde. They need a receptionist for their business, and he's a friend of one of the ladies, and so they hire him kind of reluctantly, knowing that he's really, he wants to be a model. But he's taken this job because he can't get anything else. Well, the guy can barely answer the phone and keep a coherent conversation. <laughs> and he, he can't focus on his job and actually just a really, really funny character.
2: Oh, that's great. So, I mean, this is going to revive, uh, I mean, this whole, I don't know what we call it. This I had so much great history with this movie as a kid that uh-huh. I'm thinking all of a sudden now my kids are going to have a similar experience or even better.
12: Yeah, yeah. Actually, frankly, I I think your kids will have a better experience with this one. Um, now it's interesting because the reviews on this movie have been quite polarized. A lot of the male film critics aren't liking it, and most film critics are male. But the female audiences are really loving it, hmm. and uh, and I'm jumping on the female side of the That's great. That's I, great. I, I, I understand why they are. So yeah, it's uh, it's actually a reasonably good movie. We're giving it a B plus again. Warning to parents, you know, first of all, not for little kids. Second of all, eh, there's still a little bit of content in this. This is not a G-rated film. But as I say, relative to what we could have been expecting and to other PG-13 movies, it's pretty good.
2: That's great. Good stuff. What about uh, Star Trek Beyond? That seems to be taking people by storm, too.
12: Well, this was the movie I was looking forward to this summer. I, I really enjoy the Star Trek series. And for the most part... Uh, I I was not disappointed by this one at all. Um, it, first of all, there's a great call out to uh, Leonard Nimoy in this in this film, and also, of course, it's very sad Anton Yelchin, who uh, plays Chekhov in this new rebooted franchise. Of course, he had a very sad, untimely yeah, death right. just a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, when he was killed in his own driveway by his vehicle yeah. uh, hitting him. It was in neutral, it turns out. So, anyhow, um, so those two things make this movie a little bit bittersweet, but otherwise, it's a great Star Trek uh, uh, adventure. Really, it's uh, probably the only reason I seem to have one foot on the brake and one on the gas is it's a little bit too much by the numbers. They go out, there's a big bad guy who's going to take over the universe, and they go and they do their Star Trek thing, and, uh, and all of that works out just fine. But I wish they would have explored these characters a little more deeply, because this is our third time around with them. And so we're done with all the introductions and all of those things. So this should have been the script, I felt like, where screenwriters really started digging in a little bit deeper as to, you know, what these characters are going to be doing and whatnot. And and so that part of it, I just wish they would have been a little, they would have boldly gone where no screenwriter has gone before. Aha, uh-huh. and uh, but otherwise, though, good movie. Another B plus grade on this one. Again, for parents, on this one, it's going to be the violence again. This is the movie for young children. There are many scenes of characters in peril, and we've got a lot of scenes of characters being thrown and kicked and tossed, and you know, and all of those things that are 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 pretty much what you expect within the Star Trek franchise. A little bit of profanity, not too much though. Probably about, you know, a couple of scatological terms and a handful of other mild profanities as well.
2: Hmm, man, uh, great review. Again, that's a, that's a, this is a good weekend. I mean, I feel, I, yeah, I, really, I feel like I have a bunch of choices now.
12: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of good ones, which is really nice to see in the summertime.
2: Good stuff. Well, Rod, we appreciate you and the great work you guys do there at parentpreviews.com. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week.
12: I do too. Thank you so much,
2: Matt. Thanks, Rod. Make it a great one. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. When we come back, we'll be doing a little quiz, fact or fiction about Donald Trump. He's wrapped up uh, he's wrapped up the, the the what do we call it? A convention. And guess what? Do you know everything you need to know about him? Stick with us. We'll find out. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend show. You know, we we talked a lot in the first hour of the program about uh, the convention with Donald Trump and what you thought. You know, some loved it, some hated it. Some are just looking forward to the convention with uh, Hillary Clinton and the Dems, the Democrats. It's 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 just a crazy time. If you don't love politics, in fact, my wife gets mad because they keep ruining primetime television with all these conventions. But what we want to do is make sure we, we know everything we need to know about Donald. So who better to help us than Sadie Nielsen, who's got a wonderful game for us to play, Fact or Fiction, about Donald Trump?
13: It's a wonderful, wonderful game. We're so excited to play today. Have you been
2: working uh, the game side of this, or was this did this just come natural? Was this easy to um, put together?
13: You know, it, it's a little bit of both. Yeah, It kind of depends on the day.
2: It's Donald Trump. A yeah. lot of things with Donald are really easy or incredibly difficult.
13: It's very true.
2: Okay, so how do we play the game? What do we do?
13: Okay, so it's called Fact or Fiction, okay. Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, We have a couple of fact or fictions Well, you, I don't know if
2: you know this, but I have read pretty much everything except his books.
13: We will see about, about that. About Donald Trump. I'm a little skeptical, but we'll see okay. if you know these, okay. these answers. See. So yeah. you're going to tell me if it's true or false. Okay. Or fact or fiction. Okay, number one. Donald Trump had has had three wives named Ivana, Marla Maples, and now Melania.
2: Um, now, here's the deal. I I know the answer to this.
13: Okay. Then why aren't you giving it to me?
2: Be, at the convention, he only showed three wives. But I, what I'm wondering is, did he have an earlier wife?
13: No, these are wives. These are people who have been, you know, matrimony.
2: Yeah, no, but That's I'm wondering... It. I'm wondering if he had another one way back in the day that none of us knew about and he didn't bring up at the convention. Not a secret wife. <laughs> no. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say that's a fiction of that he had those three wives. Oh, was it was it only the three?
13: It's fact, yeah. Yeah. Just the three. <sighs> Don't overthink it. He
2: was known as a playboy, and so I thought he would have married (laughs) early on anyway. But the point of a playboy is not to marry.
13: Yeah. yeah. We're focusing on the matrimony, not the other parts of it. Thanks, Ben, (laughs) for explaining
2: what a playboy is.
13: (laughs) Okay, let's...
2: (laughs) Holy cow. Where did that come from?
13: (laughs) Okay, next one. Moving on. Donald Trump receives, on average, 60... Let's see. Wow, that's a lot. I didn't even know this. 6,700 new Twitter followers per month. Fact or fiction?
11: Uh
2: Fiction. He gets more than that.
13: Sorry. What? Oh, my goodness. I thought you read everything.
2: I thought he'd have more than that a month.
13: Well... It is, it is a fact. Because so, doesn't he have
2: like 11 million Twitter followers?
13: Yeah. I, I don't so, do the math. I just watch it grow and grow and grow. But and apparently that's the correct. at
2: 11 million, he's got to get, be getting more than 6,700 a month.
13: That's what the on! Facts say. It's fine.
2: Ben, you got anything to say about Twitter? <laughs> I don't know too much about <laughs> yeah, okay. Think so. You didn't know much about Playboys either, but you still piped in. Okay. Uh, not to be rude. <laughs>
13: anyway, Next keep one. going. Um, Donald Trump has one brother and two sisters.
2: Wrong. He has two brothers, one deceased, and two sisters, and one will be a Supreme Court justice if he has his wife.
13: Absolutely. Ah, see, I know Oh, my goodness. I'm okay. I'm overthinking it. This I need is to the simplify. turn of the game.
2: Okay, this is good. I'm now you catch have to up. get all the recipes yeah, I right. Will. I will. I'll run the table.
13: Okay, here we go. Donald Trump's net worth comes to about $7 million. <laughs>
2: totally wrong. It depends who you talk to. Uh, but, you know, that's false.
13: Yes. <laughs> you are correct. It is so about. Easy. Uh, 4.1 billion dollars According
2: to Donald In reality It's probably about 250 million According to Forbes Who doesn't have Any of his tax records
13: Yes But it is It does say 4.1 billion
2: That's good According to Trump It's 10 billion (laughs) According to Trump's Ex-wives It's a lot less than that
13: Yes Very true Very true All right, Moving on Trump owns Or has 33 different towers To his name
2: Okay (laughs) Okay Uh, I, I I started yesterday doing a tower count. Uh huh. And I
13: didn't know we had any in Salt Lake.
2: Oh, we don't. Oh, okay. No, I did it online.
13: Okay, okay, that's what I thought.
2: And I'm going to say fiction. He has fewer than that.
13: I'm so what? sorry, your streak has been ended. I drove
2: by his Vegas one. Okay. Just the other day So I counted That was one
13: That's probably the most famous one People know of And then he had
2: one in New Jersey That I think went into default
13: Yep Something like that Are there
2: really 31?
13: Yeah No no 33 Man Even more
2: Okay so I don't
13: Okay you tried really hard (sighs) Is that it?
2: Is that the last one? No no no
13: we got two more Okay here we go Donald Trump wrote That he once considered Studying film at USC Fact Yeah
2: Absolutely. Could you imagine him in, in a movie?
13: <laughs> I think he'd actually make pretty great movies. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: he's done a lot of cameos, I think.
13: <laughs> yeah, he has. But um, no, he, okay. he'll be making a lot of pre- presidential movies, I guess. Oh, consider, yeah. So.
2: He is the movie.
13: We'll see about that. Okay, last one. Wait, wait, what's the score? The score? I don't Do I have know. have any
2: chance
8: of tying? I, I've been keeping track. You've lost three. Kay. No, you've lost...
2: Okay. You've won anyway, two. Anyway, so we don't know... <laughs> And you've um, lost, like, six.
13: Basically, no. Matt is not a Donald Trump expert, but that's okay, because okay, this could be turned around by the last one, all right, all which right. is yeah. Trump's favorite burgers come from McDonald's.
2: Well, we know we know that he had a runner that would run and get him for him, Chris Christie.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that was his claim to fame. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with, that's affirmative, yes.
13: I'm so sorry, Matt. It's
2: Arby's, right?
13: Yes, it is Arby's. Wow, Ben. Good job. How did you know that? Because
2: he looked at your paper. I did not
13: look at your paper. I don't think he did. I think he just just knows this. Wow, I'm really impressed, Ben. So, let me
2: get this straight. What what Ben knows, nothing about Twitter, but knows about Ben or about uh, Trump's playboy life and he <laughs> likes Arby's.
13: So, maybe we'll go so with, random. uh Ben wins this round of Donald Trump knowledge. Good job, That's... Ben.
8: Thank you, thank you. I don't know why that bothers me. Sorry, Matt. <laughs>
2: so, okay. That's
8: Whatever. all we have for you today. But well, thanks, Sadie. Better
13: luck next time.
2: Yeah, and same to you. Thanks. Better luck. <laughs> I'll know the, I'll know Hillary Clinton inside and out. Let's do a game on Hillary next Friday. Okay. I mean, I lived through the first Clinton era. I can live through the second.
13: All right, we'll see about that. Thanks. Sounds good.
2: Appreciate it, Sadie. You're welcome. Good stuff. Well, Ben, huh. You sure lucked out on that one, didn't you, pal? Um, I won that with skill and knowledge. and. By the way, let's do one more test. And you stay right here, Sadie. All right. Turn the game music off. Um,
13: now I'm scared.
2: Okay. Today, July 22nd, is Hammock Day. Okay. Oh, I, I actually can't ask you this.
13: Yeah, I think I already so know I the I answer to ask this Terry.
2: one. Is Terry there or did he? No, Terry's gone. Um... Okay. Lauren, we'll have to ask you. Okay. Uh, Lauren, come over to the microphone. And um, Lauren's our newest and greatest, latest and greatest producer. She, did, she had no idea she'd be thrown on the air. All
8: tonight. ask the question.
2: You always <laughs> ask the question. So Ben and I had a moment yesterday. And um, if I need you to just answer. When you hear of the word hammock, what music do you think of?
0: Probably
13: something Jamaican. Oh!
2: <laughs> so, so kind of close to like Hawaiian, you could say. Like also No, she said table. Jamaican. That's the second person that went to Jamaica. That's interesting. Hammocks and Jamaica, synonymous. Okay, but what did you say? You said Gilligan's Island. No, I said it reminds you Because you asked me, when I think of Hammock Day, what do I think of? I said it reminds me of Gilligan's Island. Because every day was a Hammock Day. So
8: who Hill, so. said Gilligan's Island? I'd say Jamaica is a little bit closer. No, you said, to... you
2: said the music is Hawaiian music. And then, yeah. and then, so anyway, you just solved it first, <laughs> Lauren. Lauren just solved it because it means it's, yeah, I think it, I think the consensus is it's Jamaican music. But you said Gilligan's
8: Island. So you, you're just way in left field. You lost.
2: And I'm, I'm pretty close.
4: I think it was all those dentist visits where you're looking at the
13: wall and you see the picture of the yeah. island and the hammock.
2: That was it. That was it. The Jamaican hammock island.
13: Yeah. That's the correlation.
2: Yeah. And then okay. Ben, cause Ben grew up in Hawaii. Ben thinks everything is Hawaiian. Everything came from Hawaii. Ben, that was interesting. Isn't that weird, though, that they both said Jamaica? Because Don said... Uh, who did he say? Um, he said... Um, yeah. He said...
13: That one famous Buffett. guy. The, Jimmy, Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. That's who
2: it was. Not Warren Buffett, Ben. Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I the they spent all day yesterday looking for Warren Buffett music. <laughs> he has a couple of songs that was interesting it's just I had never thought of hammocks and Jamaica yeah I I mean I knew it wasn't Hawaiian music I knew it was
13: I think of Bob Marley I think that's why I think of it you know like don't worry by the way
2: hammocks are coming back they're everywhere yeah they're everywhere you don't even need a tent anymore just get a hammock
13: no yeah that's what me and my husband use camping hammocks happy hammock
2: Happy Hammock Day, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be visiting two gentlemen that love a good uh, a good swing in the hammock. Two of our buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Rubber duck, duck,
6: rubber duck, rubber duck, duck, rubber duck, duck, rubber duck, duck. Rubber, duck, duck, rubber, duck, duck, rubber, duck, duck. Rubber duck, rubber duck, duck! Come on, everybody, try! Do not be left high and dry! do the rubber duck! Welcome back, keep everybody,
2: on to the Matt Townsend show. To you gotta love this song from out the pool of Spencer Linton, and and I and I think this is the sports BYU Sports Nation Pool
5: Day music. Hey guys, welcome to the show. How you doing today? Hello, Matthew. It's a Friday. How could you not be feeling fantastic? I feel
2: fantastic.
5: Big
14: 12-tastic.
2: Big 12-tastic. Is that a real phrase?
5: It is now. Hey, uh, we. I got to ask you about this. What Did you hear the news about Texas? Did we hear the news about Texas? Are you kidding me? We're all over the conspiracy theories from it, top to bottom. It's. I'm telling you,
2: Texas saying they'll let Houston in if Houston will give property to texas to
5: that's that's just a theory okay that's a yeah is that a a, logical conclusion
2: okay it's just a theory i get it
5: but it's one that is absolutely believable right
2: yeah yeah totally it's like (laughs) you brought i think spencer you brought up a theory about texas and others maybe wanting only four uh, conferences not five anyway so the theories just keep going
5: there are three or four absolutely believable and conceivable theories out there right now, and it was a calculated effort uh, on the number on a, by a number of people yesterday involved uh, with the University of Texas and the government in Texas to proposition for Houston to get into the Big Twelve. Oh, I, was, I was fascinated by it.
2: Yeah, this is going to get crazy. I it's, think it's, already it already is, is crazy. crazy. Yeah, is, yeah. is it already? Yeah, yeah, and. and <laughs>
14: It's fun. I lo- I enjoy all of this because I think BYU has a legit shot to get in.
2: Oh, that'll be fun in now the I'm end.
14: Ma- now I'm invested. I used to not be. I used to be like, eh, whatever. Now that they've said we're going to explore expansion, a.k.a. we're going to expand by two or four teams, and BYU is a primary candidate, if not the number one. BYU appears to be the number one candidate out there generally. Yeah. Then, okay, na- okay now, 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 Houston. now this involves us, yeah. right? We, Brigham Young.
2: This is cool. Now, okay, so when will they actually decide anything? I guess we don't we, know. We
14: don't know. But yesterday Tom Homel addressed the media regarding the Beehive Classic, mm-hmm. uh, basketball, round-robin, three-year deal. And uh, he was obviously addressed, uh, asked about the Big 12, addressed it, and said, yeah, we'll know more in the coming days and weeks. He did not use the word months. Yeah. So that was encouraging. I, I'm of the opinion that, yeah, it will take anywhere from three to 12 weeks um, but if Tom Homeless says days and, and weeks, then but before, but, bef-
2: but before really, I mean it's about good. during football season, we'll find out
14: before or during the football, oh, season. Oh, it's, it feels like
2: you guys, what will, you will have so much to talk about then?
5: We already do have so much to talk about. Uh,
2: I thought you didn't have anything to talk about because there were no sports. <laughs>
5: Oh,
14: Matthew, <laughs> so naive! Oh, Maddie, <laughs> one lay, day you'll people. learn. One day you'll learn.
2: <laughs> totally, I totally get it. I don't even
14: guys. know how to fill an hour. I mean, wait, three? Oh, what? <laughs> no, I don't.
2: Hey, by oh, by the way, it's talk about f- filling it up. Oh, we got to make sure you got your time. Did you? The reason we did the rubber duck song is because that was the song that was being sung by a deer that got stuck in a in a bathtub. It happens, little baby deer.
5: Rubber ducky,
2: and it was singing that song. So I it thought, I thought of you too.
5: That uh, that sounds like an unbelievable conspiracy theory.
2: No, totally real. A deer ran in the front door, got stuck in the bathroom. How many times has oh, that happened though? I mean, I, every morning I'm like, oh, is there a deer in the bathtub? And there it is, singing I mean, the rubber yeah. ducky song.
5: Is there is that... a horse head in my bed? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you That's hate it? That's the worst.
2: Don't you hate it when you feel that hairy horse head on your feet? <laughs> <laughs> it's a ah, horror. Ah. such a strange way to wake up every what morning.
5: What a great movie that is. Oh, my goodness.
2: I, by the way, watched it with an edited version of it, and it was a lot shorter because oh, I, they took out a bunch of words.
5: They didn't take out the horse stuff. No, absolutely
2: they? not. <laughs> I
5: watched The Departed on TNT. It was 12 minutes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is a fast edit. Hey, talk about uh, your show. What's coming up? we got to get you out there. Get you ready, waxed up.
5: Uh, It's about the Big 12 today. And just kind of what happened in day two, the madness involved there, why BYU seems like the popular kid and the front runner in the vote right now, who's saying what positively about the Cougars from a national perspective. And then we're going to dive into some of these conspiracy theories about why Texas is getting so involved with the University of Houston, including what you brought up. A real estate matter. Yeah. Also, a big-time Houston booster who has given large amounts of money to both the Texas governor and the Texas lieutenant governor, who then may have repaid the favor yesterday by lobbying on Twitter for Houston to join. Holy cow.
2: This is good. There's going to be a scandal and an investigation, and someone's going to prison somewhere. In one of these scandals.
5: <laughs> I don't know that it's illegal, right? To, no. To
2: no, no, no. But campaign, so, you're going to but... find something ha- out. You're you're, we'll find something out, and I bet either Trump or Clinton will somehow be involved.
5: <laughs> it seems shady.
2: It's a shady deal. Okay, that's going to be a cool topic. Anything else going on on show? Oh, yeah, the show? we have
5: two NFL players on the show as well, and they're both in studio. Oh, man. Jordan Leslie, DeAndre Wesley, Falcons. Kay. And Ravens.
2: Okay, I'm gonna. Just so you know, I'm gonna run down and catch them when they're walking in. Get a little autograph thing.
14: Okay.
6: Is that do all right?
2: Do it. I'm gonna do it. Okay, guys, that sounds like a great show. I know you got to get going, um, get stretched, and everything for the big yeah. show.
5: Yeah. Before you come get the autographs, I think you should uh, review the HR employee policy once again. Oh, okay. <laughs> Darn it.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, minute. once again, you mean for the first time?
5: There will be there will be no hugging and kissing of the cheeks, Matt.
2: Ah. <sighs> You guys, there's so many rules to follow. <laughs> it's this so
6: Young, man. I know.
2: I know. I understand. I understand. Well, guys, have a great one. That's going to be awesome. Okay, thanks, Knock sir. 'em Knock them dead. Peace out, yo. That's cool. How come they have two pro football players on their show? That doesn't – when was the last time we had a pro football player on the show?
8: I used to have a substitute teacher who was uh, Indiana – Indianapolis
2: Colts football player is he? Can he come in and to our show? Is that what you're saying?
8: Uh, no, I'm just saying I've I've had that connection as well.
2: So you so you're saying yeah. you know people?
8: Yeah, and so you're kind of out of the loop. Yeah,
2: kind of don't know anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, here's the deal we have a we have a Twitter question that we've put out there, a test to see what is the best hammock song. Does the best well, what hammock...
8: reminds you most of a sitting in
2: a hammock? Is it a Jimmy Buffett song? Is it a Warren Buffett song? <laughs> That's the fourth question. Is it a Jimmy Buffett song, a Warren Buffett song, or is it a, a is it a Jamaica, is it from like a Jamaica song or is it Jamaica does that what reminds you most or Hawaii? Or ben... in the other category you can put Gilligan's Island. Okay, don't confuse the you're confusing the test. This again is why we just can't have him on microphone. Yeah. I'm just gonna make a mental note of that. Ben cannot be on the microphone. Because he just confused our Twitter our Twitter game. When you think of a hammock, are you most likely to think of Jimmy Buffett and just rem- Jamaica or Hawaii? End of question.
8: And just remember, if you are patriotic, pick the state.
2: The state that Jimmy Buffett lives in. No, um, Hawaii. Okay. Number 50. Um, Speaking of Hawaii, here's a story that has nothing to do with it, but it is in the Pacific Ocean. A nine-year-old boy swims to Alcatraz and back, breaking a record. Nine-year-old Central California boy braves strong currents, cold water to swim from San Francisco to Alcatraz Island and back. James Savage set a record as a youngest swimmer to make the journey to a former prison. By the way, that's a really weird category. How, how many prisons can you swim to? I think
8: Askaban is the candidate. Um,
2: okay. Uh, I, I, that was a rhetorical question. I was just asking it rhetorically. Just oh. throwing it out there, not to be answered. Okay. But that's one if, if you're thinking about it. Yeah. If you believe in Askaban and Dementors, yeah, that's another one you can swim to. Um, the station reports that uh, – that by completing the swim, the fourth grader breaks a record previously held by ten, a ten-year-old boy and nine felons from the 1940s. Except they didn't swim back; they just swam one way. Losers. So they were disqualified. Remember? Yeah. James says the waves in San Francisco Bay hitting him in the face uh, thirty minutes into the swim made him want to give up. But his father offered him his father had offered him a hundred bucks if he could complete it. Up to 200 bucks, if the father doubled it once the wave started getting really hard. In fact, the father, in an effort to motivate the boy, was playing some music for him. Here's a little soundtrack of the music he played to motivate his son in the swim. I like duck, it when you hear the little squeezy duck. duck. duck Tell me duck, that doesn't want duck, to make you just pick duck, your stroke duck, up. Duck, yeah, it motivates duck, you kick boy kick he's kicking oh you can just see the big waves beautiful Mm. I love father dad moments that's a that father son moment brought to you by Bert and Ernie and the do the rubber duck song (laughs) as you know we always like to end the show on a hero story and have I got a hero for you imagine you're a mom and your best friend is dying of cancer okay and your best friend tells you, as she's dying with cancer, that she wants you to raise her six children. You already have three of your own, and she really needs you to raise her children. What do you do? Well, that's the story of Beth Latekep. Uh, she died from breast cancer on May 19th at the age of 39, and her friend Stephanie Coley of Alton, Virginia... Um, basically went to her and said, I need you to take care of my six children. Beth had been diagnosed with cancer two years ago when she was pregnant with her youngest child. She underwent chemotherapy treatments at Duke Hospital in North Carolina. She was a devoted mother. That was her thing, Coley said of her friend. Her kids were her life. She loved them more than anything. She was humble, very sweet girl. Prior to her death, Beth requested a final wish from Coley whom she'd grown extremely close to. The favor was one that would change Coley's family forever. She said, I know you'll do this for me, but can you raise nine kids? She said, Can you take my babies, all of them, and keep them together? Coley recalled. She said, I don't know. I have to pray about this. I have to talk to my husband about this. We discussed it as a family, and my kids, her three, were the first to say yes, and they've gotten really close with Beth's kids. My husband was like a deer in the headlights. But he knew that this was what we had to do. So they did it. Coley and her husband Donnie, uh, they got together and they took Beth's kids. And it was just formalized and official, made official in the courts um, on July 19th. Beth is now, uh, her six children, Will, Selena, Jackson, Dallas, Lily, and Ace, are now brothers and sisters with Cole, Hayden, and Kaylin. And they are still a family and they are still together. So, folks, that is the sign right there and an example of heroes. Uh, Stepping up, being the person that others need you to be in the moment they need you to be there. Sometimes you never expect it, but you can still make a difference. That's the challenge for all of us. Uh, That's the show. Let's make it a great weekend. Let's go look after each other, be there for each other, and do what we have to do to just do what's right. We'll be back again Monday.
6: Take care. Talk about good.
0: BYU Radio.